tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Are you ready to get your mind blown? Good morning, Swarm, and welcome to Tim Fall Hat. You know I am. You know I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. Joining me as always, my good friend and yours, Xavier Guerrero. What's up? And then on the ones and twos, Jay Nice, Johnny Woodard. How are you guys? Ooh, I'm a little little down after that. That was a dark episode, dude. We got into some serious stuff. Yeah, we the had end. serious talk. At, you know, we get into uh, we have guest Derek Brown's on. Uh, Derek Bros on. Excuse me. Uh, he's on. It was a great conversation. Important stuff but. and very important stuff. Derek's one of the best in the business. And I was very excited. Always a pleasure to have him on. Sorry I messed up his name. Derek, you know I love you. And um, he goes deep. And we get into some stuff about fluoride. And then it gets really dark about some people in Utah. They deserve to be dead. I, without a doubt. And I was thinking about putting a posse together for a brief I moment. Could <laughs> I could tell. I looked over at Sam. And I was like, he's, mouth he's, up. he's thinking about crime. Hey, right is now. his name out there? Where, oh. Do we know where he lives? Right? Uh, you, he was asking for links. That's yeah, what she got scared. Send me links. And uh, it's very... Very uh, important episode gets dark at the end. I'm sorry about that, but you know sometimes we gotta shed light on the darkness. And so yeah, so guys, uh, the weirdo tour is in full effect. A lot of great dates. Some of these weirdo dates are Tim Fall Hat dates. Some of them are who knows whatever dates. But the dates are coming. I am listen. I'm trying to do gigs everywhere. I'm getting hit on Boston. I'm, I'm talking to laughs, trying to get out there. See if they have me back. They told me they loved me last time I was there. We'll see if it happens again. Daddy's coming. Guns are blazing. Okay. Uh, if you want to see me this weekend with my good friend, how we do we bump, 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 bump. We're at the Dojo of Comedy for the five-year anniversary. So we have February 16th uh, is the five-year anniversary of my comedy club in in New Jersey. And then February 17th and 18th, a lot of shit talking will be happening. <laughs> then the world famous comedy store. We have comedy chaos live tickets are already moved for that great lineup. Cold blooded killers doing that. The following week, Tim fall hat comedy night is in full effect bro, bro, again bro. with my good friend, Xavier Guerrero, Eddie Bravo. You heard him on uh fight companion with uh, Joe Rogan pushing the dates. So February 24th and then February 25th, we're live there. And then I'm very, excited to go back to one of the best clubs in the country the house of comedy in the mall of america then if you go down a little farther a new date i have two dates in a row uh we're going to yuma i'm doing the crest ultra lounge with a couple people that's a that's a gig in yuma arizona then i'm doing a private uh in vegas for a fan who has an OnlyFans and large breasts. So I'm going to do that. That's going to just grab all your tickets to samtriplee.com. Guys, uh, we are getting shadow banned at an insane rate. Now, if you go down the Broken Sim, for Johnny, correct me if I'm wrong, but the go down, go down, go down, oh. go down, go down, go down, go down. Oh, yeah, keep going, keep going, keep going. If you go down, 
the broken sim go up. The broken sim, if I am correct, is directly attached to the YouTube. Is that what I've been told? Now it is. Yeah. Now it is. Now it is. So if you're like, hey man, I want to watch the YouTube, yeah, dog. What you can do is you go to you bro go to samtriplee.com, you click on the link, it will bring you to the YouTube. So you don't have to do the searching anymore. Just go to samtriplee.com. I'm gonna be doing that with Conspiracy Social Club, which I want to thank you all very much for making a top 200. We've been there for two weeks now. Hanging, banging, Conspiracy Social Club, another one. How cool is it to have two podcasts right there next to each other in the top, what was that, like 70-ish? The goal is to get uh, my good friends, um, Brokens in there, Johnny, myself. Uh, Again, we're going to get to the episode real quick. I know you guys are here to listen to the episode, but I am doing a ton of Pro, uh, tons, tons of episodes on rockfin.com. Rockfin.com. You can get free zeros. You can get uh, two episodes of Tim Fall Hat Premium and one episode of Premium Conspiracy Social Club plus a free episode. Then we also have this guy's crushing it, Howie Dewey, on the, the Cash Daddies, Wild Last Cash Daddies. Uh, name we might have to change the name. We, we can't get into that right now, but we got some great names lined up. But uh, the cash days for twenty dollars a month, you can get all your picks. This is how good he is at picking. He picked the score of the Super Bowl last nah, night. He picked the score. He did the exact score. The exact score. Pretty, pretty impressive. One dude, and correct me if I'm wrong. He said one guy won fifty grand. I something like that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it was a how he do he crushes it in sports now too. And he crushes it. I mean, like, it's one in a million. He got it. But for 20 bucks, you get all of his picks in the in, in, in investment. And then for $1,000, and if you want 50 grand off of how we do it, you better <laughs> buy $1,000 of lovemaking. Yeah. And, and listen, we get to watch you make love for $1,000. And Xavier said he's in, too. We're so, doing it. Full yeah. price, too. No no scholarship for you. No Go discount. check it out. Go check it out. Check it out. All right, and then, um, yeah, I mean, we also, listen, we'll get into it later. So, yeah, let's get into it now. Uh, we can talk about the website all day, but I really want to get into it. Here is uh, here's an episode with Derek Bros, uh, great researcher, author, uh, and, and listen to the whole thing because we go deep, homeboy. Enjoy the show. We go deep, homeboy. Derek, open your mind. Drink. All right, very excited to have this guest back. He's got a second edition of his book coming out, uh, Opt Out of the Technocratic State. I'm very excited. Please welcome Derek Bros. How are you, Derek? Hey, I'm doing good, brother. Thanks for having me back. It's been a little while. Glad to have you back. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Love everything you're doing. I think you got mad at me for a moment because maybe I misunderstood one of your tweets, Uh, but I'm glad we could be back together singing Kumbaya on the show. Uh, for our friend, uh, for our listeners who may not be uh, familiar with your last appearance and some of the work you've been doing, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where they can find you? Yeah, thanks for that, brother. No, I wasn't mad. I was, I was just sharing my my side of the story. Perfect. But yeah, my name my name is Derek Bros. People can find me at theconsciousresistance.com. Uh, that's my main hub for all my content. I mean, I've been a journalist, an activist, documentary filmmaker, public speaker wearing various hats for the last 13 years. I put out podcasts, video reports, interviews, documentaries, books. Like I said, do public speaking. 
my mo- most of my work the last few years has been focused on trying to get people to think about how to get out of the systems, how to prepare for what's coming in a solutions focused way, not just talking about all the scary shit. And, um, and then, yeah, through my journalism, trying to point at and poke holes in the scary shit. So I try to, like, I feel like I have a twofold strategy of using journalism to educate, empower, get people thinking. And then through my journalism or through my activism, my books and talks and such, trying to inspire people to think of solutions for those problems. Well, we're on your website right now. It's really awesome. Beautiful website. And I see you had Catherine Austin Fitz. Is that her name? I've been dying to yeah. get her on the show. I, some people won't come on the show because of the name. They think we're like crazy people who live with our parents yeah. and nothing if you live with your parents. Good for you. Uh, but like we live in some kind of basement and we just drink Milwaukee's best and just talk smack. Like I would love to have her on. Uh, but congratulations on that. I love everything you do and you talk to talk, you walk to walk. And I think that's very important. Uh, I also want to ask you that, you know, do you think we could save anybody or should we just save ourselves? Meaning that we, we lead by example. Uh, I think there's a lot of people out there. And, and I think I could have been a victim of this as well. When, when I first started really waking up to everything that I like, I think maybe I went a little bit of blunt force trauma on people <laughs> with, uh, you know, being Paul Revere yelling about the lizard people are coming and maybe at this point right now, I kind of realize that that's kind of a waste of time. What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I've definitely had my personal kind of thoughts and reflection on that over the years. Cause uh, and what you're describing, like that blunt force trauma, I feel like that's what a lot of us do in the beginning. You first wake up, you have like a freak out moment of whatever it is that caused you to wake up for me, it was going to prison and then getting out and like, Oh my God, how see this everybody I meet and I gotta go pass out DVDs and flyers and I really good way in ways when I look back my wasting my time or whatever but I, I I still do try to balance that like I do think leading by example is the best the ultimate the only thing we can do I mean that's why I've you know you talk about walking the walk talking the talk I try to live the things I talk and we're going to discuss about my book <laughs> just all this, I, you know, I I stay out of these systems as much as possible. Like, um, and so I'd really just try to, to lead by example and to, to try to show people. So I feel like that is an effective strategy and maybe the only thing that really matters. And at the same time, there's a part of me that just can't quote unquote, give up on people. Right. I, I feel like for years I've seen my role as like trying to build the new systems and promote the new systems. But at the same time, there's still so many people with their minds locked in the matrix trying to like, spread information, wake people up, if you will. And of course they got to take their own time, their own journey, but whenever they're ready and they're like, Oh my God, I can finally see like there's, I've been being lied to. Then from there, try to help them not get sucked into the doom porn conspiratainment constant, like endless rabbit hole of just black pilling, you know, everything's fucked and might as well not bother and all this kind of stuff. Cause I feel like that's the thing is when people wake up, they can get sucked into some QAnon stuff or they can be sucked into black pilled. Everything's pointless. There's no point in trying. They can get sucked into false solutions, you know? And so it's, it's sometimes helpful to have other people who are maybe ahead a bit saying like, Hey guys, here's the way to better information and to solutions and things like that. Uh, I love that. 
And I think that's very important. Um, I, I, I tell you, man, if I just become a straight black pill person, I'm just not going to do the show anymore. I just, I, I just won't do it. I, I am a spiritual man and, you know, I'm constantly on a journey of what that means and learning more and more and, and, you know, loving, you know, all these, these star seeds that have been sent to help us and, you know, the teachings of Jesus and then the, you know, Buddha and all these people learning a little bit, keeping what I like, you know, kind of a Bruce Lee approach to everything. And uh, I believe in light and I believe in dark. I believe there is light entities, dark entities. And I believe that um, there's a war for our mind. And if, if they were winning, and this is a really great thing, and I, I'm sure this isn't the first person to say this, but if they were winning and, and it was inevitable, they wouldn't need all this propaganda all the time, 24-7, constantly in your face of doom and gloom and that they're running everything. My whole theory on these balloons and UFOs is <laughs> this is 100% them trying to usher in their their Project Blue Beam or get us okay with World War Three, And because this is, again, manifestation, They're, they have to get us to manifest that we are lost, have no hope, and they have to save us. And they're constantly in a battle in this. And I think like people like yeah. yourself... And what you're doing and to this show to an extent is is winning because I just don't see people falling for a lot of stuff going on. I, I do believe the Ukraine war is the one of the greatest attempts at, nope, we're doing this. And people being like, we don't want this. And I think we would have been deep in the World War Three by now if they had total control and I, that's just my personal opinion. Um, a lot of things going on. The balloon, the explosion at the... Some weird shit, man. What are your thoughts <laughs> on all that? Um, well, I mean, it, it's funny you mentioned Project Bluebeam because that was one of the first things. Like, So when you go through that blunt force trauma stage, I feel like when you're first waking up and you're shouting everything from the rooftops, at least in my experience you get, you know, you're just like waking up to all kinds of information. So you start consuming, especially back in the day when you could just find this stuff all over YouTube and you're just like one video after the other. Right. I feel like at least in my experience, there have been things that I've looked at at that time that I learned or I picked up. And then later on looking back, I'm like maybe that wasn't exactly factual. There's some truth in there, but project Bluebeam has been one of those things that I found around that time that I like back in 2011, 2010, that I could never fully say like, is this true? It's got a really weird origin story for those who don't know about Project Blue Beam and the journalist Serge Manas from Canada and claiming he had access to NASA documents and fake daily invasion, all this kind of stuff. It's been one of those things that I was just like, wow, this sounds insane. And maybe coming from a, a kind of Christian fundamentalist perspective and some of that, but I've just kept it like in the back of my pocket. And over the years, as the technology advances and you see more things like holograms, Tupac and Michael Jackson, all that kind of stuff, I've always thought like, Project Bluebeam. Project Bluebeam yeah. always comes back to my mind. And then with this stuff lately, absolutely, my mind has been like thinking like yesterday I was kind of half, I don't really watch sports much anymore these days. Not that there's anything wrong with people who enjoy that. But I was sort of halfway listening, watching the Super Bowl only because I was just like, are the fucking aliens going to show up during the Super Bowl? Because, <laughs> yeah, that, that chat GPT thing comes out, I, I put it out. Yeah, and it's just like, oh man, something's about to happen tomorrow. You better or yesterday, better watch out. And I'm like, okay. Oh, how long till they till we, till we see an actual alien? 
I I, I just think they're just trying to fit everything to me. Because they is, shot something down and they said they haven't retrieved it because it's what they too cold. Yeah, because it's too cold. That's what they said in Alaska. <laughs> that was their excuse. It was too cold. They can't. The weather's too. I mean, crazy what are we us. talking about? Listen, man. I know there's a lot of people who are either in the military or ex-military to listen to the show. So I'm very cautious. I'm very thankful for your service, because I know that many of you, if not all of you, joined because, one, you wanted to protect your country, sense of patriotism, and you wanted to make a better life for your family. So I respect that. But I, I, I respectfully ask, how are these? how is the slowest moving thing in the air a balloon just making its way through the most fortified airspace on planet or That's planet Earth? How is that? How does that happen? How do it how do make any sense? Yeah, how do four planes, three planes on nine eleven just exactly. just do just wheelies in the air <laughs> and nobody knows where the fuck they are? But that reminds me of nine eleven. It makes me think of nine eleven. Like oh, all of a sudden on this day we just somehow couldn't protect the airspace and whoops, all of a sudden a balloon just showed up. We didn't, you know, it just seems to like you were saying, Sam. Whether it's like perpetuating. The stereotype of like, oh, the U.S. and China are about to go to World War Three, which I tend to be skeptical of those kinds of claims. I, I feel like at the very top, you know, these people are chilling and hanging out together, maybe not at the presidential level. Maybe they really think they're fighting some war, but the people who control them, you know, it's it's they usually are either ramping up war because it they want people to be afraid. They want people spending money. They want to keep us in a state of imbalance. It just doesn't – something about this, all these different situations the last week doesn't seem to be on the surface what they're telling us, which I think is kind of obvious. But where it's going, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it wasn't Blue Beam yesterday. I had Blue Beam at the Super Bowl, and I was wrong. So we'll see where it goes next. Yeah, Blue Beam on your bingo card. You thought you were about to win and didn't show up. All you got was pregnant Rihanna. And, you know, so you're – so and it's just, again – and this is on the heels of what we all knew, which was that the U.S. and the British bombed that 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 pipeline. We all knew they did it. We we were telling you we did it, and we don't say this. We're like, yeah, we're right again. It's kind of boring at this point yeah. to be right all the time. And yes, we get tiny little things here wrong because we're speculating, and no one is a. 100% psychic that bats a thousand. Okay. You're going to get little things here and they're wrong. Mostly because they're setting honey pots for us to look bad. That's their only real, uh, way to combat what conspiracy theorists are doing, which is analyzing the data over decades, if not centuries and predicting based on that data, what the next move is. And the best way to do that is, for the counter that is to take that data and manipulate the outcome of that data so that these people look so that people like us look stupid. And we know that the sheep, we don't care if we get a thousand right in a row. The minute we get one wrong, that's what they're gonna hang their hat on forever. And they know how these sure. people wanna wanna act to it. So do you have any thoughts on the on the and I and we'll get I wanna get into your book after this, but do you have any thoughts on the on on what the pipeline represents to you yeah well, for one i want to say that seymour hirsch this is his bio he's my favorite still living journalist i encourage everybody to read this it's called reporter and for anybody who has like an interest in like 
learning about journalism in a way that doesn't even exist anymore because he started out as a journalist when he was like in the 1950s. This dude is one of the last living real old school investigative journalists who's tracking people down, who has government sources and, uh, and legit sources. And because he has done enough work that the mainstream can't deny, they give him the credit and the respect he deserves. You know, he was, he was the first person to expose the violence in Vietnam, the My Lai massacre. He was one of the first journalists to publicly call out the weapons of mass destruction and the lies about that. And so they give him credit for that. He won prizes and all that, but now they sort of approach him like this, Oh, well he used to be good and credible. Now he's kind of just an old crazy guy. Like, so, you know, they can't totally just discount him or debunk him. So they just try to ignore him. Like he's said before that most, uh, he can't get published in America anymore. Like he typically, publishes his investigations now in like the London review of books, like some really like some known in maybe the academic circles, but not really known the mainstream because he can't get published in the U S and he publicly was one of the only mainstream journalists calling out the Syria false flag gas attacks a couple of years ago. He also spoke about Seth rich and uh, you know, his role in the DNC leaks and all that kind of stuff. So he's, he's a real old school journalist and he actually published this investigation on Substack. He joined and announced he was joining Substack. And then the next day he published his investigation about Nord Stream. And I don't know, you know, besides the story itself, I just love reading him. Right. Because even in his announcement of him joining Substack, he was kind of just, he's just like a, he's 84. So he probably doesn't give a fuck anymore. And he's just super cool. And he got like so much knowledge. And so he's just like, I've never felt good rubbing elbows with the, the elite at the political galas and the parties and the dinners. I'd rather be down by the shipyard, you know, talking to some sailor drinking whiskey and like rubbing elbows with the first year interns to get information out of them. Like he, you know, he knows how to do real work. And so the fact that he chose to put together this really solid investigation and saying, Hey, the sources I have confirmed this was a U.S. job, which is like you said, we kind of already suspected based on statements from Biden and from other U S government officials but as expected, like the mainstream has pretty much ignored his report. I think you can maybe find a reference to it on CNN and maybe some of the other mainstream cable news and New York Times. But if they said anything about it, it was just to kind of say that he was wrong, basically, and that there's no evidence of this. And again, just to dismiss him as like kind of pat him on the head. Like he, he used to be a good, credible journalist. Now he's gone a little bit astray because he just doesn't care anymore about trying to toe the line and he's just going to report what he knows is factual and the one thing the other thing i'll say on that that annoys the hell out of me about this pipeline story the russia gate the twitter files and so many other things is just because the u.s and a lot of the world is so divided now the people who really need to read these stories so that they can have a moment of like oh shit maybe i was lied to before maybe there is something go- different going on than what Fox News or MSNBC or CNN is telling me. Those kind of people, for the most part, have already made up their minds. You know what I mean? Like, they're not going to go read. A lot of people don't like to challenge themselves. They don't want to go read something, especially if it's a long 24,000-word investigation that's going to debunk what they have been told to believe. That's difficult for a lot of people. Even, I would say, in our circles, we get in our own little biases, our bubbles of this is what I believe, this is what I know. I'm not going to hear from the other side anymore, right? So it's frustrating for me trying to like, who is a person that will read and watch the CNN version, the MSNBC version, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and then go to indie media and alternative media and look at foreign media and then use my own analysis and try to see like, okay, what's what? And things are rarely black and white, you know, and, and they want people to just, oh, the Twitter files is just a bunch of Russian disinformation. It's a nothing burger. It's just Elon Musk. He's a billionaire. We hate him. Or, 
the Twitter files reveal the ultimate truth about Joe Biden. Pay no attention to what they reveal about Donald Trump and his administration censoring people. And so people just, they pick their little camps and then they stay in there. And I feel like, unfortunately, even though this Pulitzer Prize winning journalist writing an article about essentially a false flag event should be a mainstream front page news being debated for weeks at a time, you know, it's not going to be given the credit it deserves and the respect it deserves. I, I agree with everything you just said right there and the danger of that. The the people who need to hear it aren't going to hear it. And it's something we talk about on the show all the time. People's algorithms lying to them. We, you know, there, there's a buddy of mine. He's a, one of my favorite comics. Great guy. I'm not going to say his name because I don't think it's him, but he's doing a show in LA and there he announced that you have to show you have to show up in a mask and proof of vaccination in 2023 wow. in 2023 and i it's don't insane. think it's him i think it's the venue and the fact that the venue is still doing that lets you know that they've heard none of these these Pfizer dumps none of these twitter files none of anything going on in washington dc which with this this elaborate production of of you know, perp walking these Twitter execs, which they deserve, but are they going to get in trouble? Are, are they going to do any jail time for violating the Constitution, joining the government and violating the First Amendment? I mean, and Yoel, whatever his name is, Roth, who's like trying to act like he's a victim when he literally was trying to t convince everybody that children should be allowed on Grinder. Like, that's who was in charge of Twitter safety. And, and then you got that scumbag. And if I saw this guy, I would unleash on him that, that Scott Wiener, uh, who I don't know how you guys keep voting for this guy that made it so like that basically performing anal on a child is no longer automatically a felony. Like we live in this world. This guy just keeps getting uh, voted into office. Like it's children, man. It's children. And he's got, you know, so like these people aren't getting the information. It's not being, their algorithms are lying to them. And we still see it. We still see people running around with not just one mask on, two mask people on. And we're allowed, we're, we should stop frequency, we should stop going to businesses that are making their employees wear masks. If you want to wear masks, you can't. You're an idiot. Because you're just doing, you might as well walk around with a magic feather in your mouth because you're Dumbo, but we're, you're not getting any, your algorithm is lying to you and, and it's allowing you not to face the repercussion, repercussions of your actions, which no. was that you bullied people in who were trying to go, Hey man, I don't think they're telling you the truth. And you side with power every time. And you know what, Derek? You're totally right about Trump. You're totally right about Trump. Trump violated the First Amendment with his EO, which, which said that people criticizing Israel could not protest on campuses. And the reason they did that, and we've told you this before, is because these fucking colleges that are woke as fuck are all investing in the military industrial complex. And a lot of those weapons are coming from Israeli weapons manufacturers. And they don't want you to know that. And where do the, does the technology come from? Well, that the military uses obviously from the schools. 
Well, I mean, from yeah. like yeah. like the yeah, Ivy Har- League yeah, schools, Ivy League schools I'm, I'm just Harvard, perfect. Yale. Yeah. But it's like the, they won't allow them to protest because if that school made a, 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 a ruling that we're not going to invest in anybody that works with Israel, all these military industrial complex companies would be fucked. Why do you think they're, uh, I know I've said this before, but why do you think they're allowing these, these college athletes to make money off their likeness? Because it doesn't take any money from all the giant contracts they get from all these, co- these uh, television companies who are all owned by, it's just a, it's just mo- a money laundering thing. Just, we're just washing money through this way to this way. It's all, it's all the same, bro. It's, you know, they, the people buying ads on television are the same people who run the television. It's just, it's just a, a money laundering. Maybe that's not the correct term because it's legal, but they're just washing money, dude. And it's all the same thing. So you're totally 100% correct about the cri- criticizing of Trump. I think as somebody said this yesterday, uh, you know, Brad Binkley from the Propaganda Report, he did a show with me on, on uh, Rockfin, and he was like, the, I am more critical of the, of the politicians I like than the ones I don't like. I hold them to a higher standard because I like them. He's like, I like Trump over Biden. I'm going to question Trump even more because he's representing who I think is right. So you should question both sides. It's free. And at the end of the day, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat, they're deciding the fate of your you and your family. Hey, guys, if World War III, excuse me, World War III suddenly fucking busts open, you're two-year-old, you're three-year-old, your four-year-old, your five-year-old could be affected by the draft because these world wars don't end in two weeks. They go for a long time. So you better start pushing the fuck back on both sides who aren't open to this and aren't pushing back on this illegal war. Hey, everybody, I want to tell you about our friends at Helix Sleep. Dot com. Everyone on the show has a Helix sleep bed, okay? I got one. I took the quiz, answered the questions, got a bed. I'm going to be honest with you. Dana and myself have one. Our dog has one. Both the dogs, Roger, Pollyanna, both love the bed. They took the quiz, and they got a nice, firm one, okay? Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. Helix Lineup has, includes 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxurious models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers, and a mattress just for kids. So how we know which mattress is best for you? Okay, real quick. Take the, the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door free of charge, okay? Helix knows there's no better way to test a mattress than to sleep on it in your home. That's why they offer a 100 nights trial and a 10 to 15 year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress, okay? Everyone's unique and everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from and designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Okay, I took this sleep quiz and I matched up with a model mattress that uh, felt firm, okay? And I sleep on a firm mattress year-round all the time. Plus, Helix mattresses are American-made, okay? 
American made with a 10 to 15 year warranty, yes. depending on the model. Okay. Don't want to take my word for it. Don't want to take my Xavier's word for it. Don't want to take Johnny's word for it. Why would you? Why would you? Okay. <laughs> Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. Helix is offering up to 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So this is what you do. Go to helixsleep.com slash tinfoil. This is the best offer yet, and it won't last long. Visit Helix. Better sleep starts now. So, Derek, we had it. We, we got into the opting out of the crypto uh, with John Bush uh, a week ago. Uh, and I want to get into your new book. What's new about the new second edition, edition you're putting out, which is how to opt out of the technocratic state? Yeah, thanks for that, brother. Um, so I wrote this book in late 2019 originally, and I probably mentioned it on our previous interview, but I, I published it in 2020, January 2020, so right before COVID <laughs> happened. And I was writing it in 2019, basically as a journalist and as a researcher who pays attention to digital technology, I was already writing about, you know, the threat of facial recognition and digital identities and social credit scores back in about 2016, 2017, and including like dealing with it in Houston, dealing with police, cell phone surveillance. Uh, I found out I was under investigation by the Houston police years ago, and that led me to start investigating all these different types of tools from automatic light readers and thermal heat detectors and drones of course and all the different tools that the governments and cops have for surveillance and i wanted to write a book that would give people that information but more than just being a book like hey here's all the scary things coming focus on solutions and and really more specifically because my work has focused on opting out over the years like i talked about not having a bank account and um really trying to operate outside of these systems as much as possible and still thrive not like being okay i'm outside of the system and now i'm broke and i'm barely making it but being able to live a successful happy life but staying unplugged and I started to wonder, well, is that going to be possible? You know, this advice I've given people, grow your own food and take the kids out of school and use alternative currencies and get off big tech and all this stuff. Is that going to be possible in the world that they're building where AI is monitoring everything through facial recognition cameras that are connected to databases that can quickly catalog you and, you know, tell you where you've been for the last decades and find you anywhere in the country like we've seen in China and like we've seen in India with their digital ID system called Adhar, which is the foundation. They went around a couple years ago with funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and others. The Indian government went around and scanned the faces and the eyes of the irises of more than a billion people who live in India. They went to big cities, small towns, villages, and it took years, but they successfully did it and got every single Indian citizen into this system that now to get food, to get like say social welfare, to get a bank account, to travel, to do anything, you need this digital ID. And again, more and more people paying attention to Chinese social credit score schemes. So I was paying attention to this stuff back then and I wanted to write like, what is it, you know, what is what are we facing and is it possible to stay outside of those systems? And my work specifically focuses on opting out by using counter economics uh, or counter establishment economics, underground economy, the counter economy, the parallel economy. It is uh, idea of this philosopher Samuel Conkin III, who was a, like an anarchist activist back in the 60s and 70s. He died in 2004, but he was against voting. He was against violence. And he believed that there was a, a third path that we could take besides choosing apathy or giving up or being blackpilled that we could 
start to exit from the systems by taking our money, our finances away from the state and away from the banks and putting it into like local economies. And over time, he imagined this would be a generational thing. We would start to see people exiting and over time, mass exodus, the more aggressive the state gets and invasive, like we saw with COVID, people will naturally want to like get away and look for alternatives. And so he predicted that we would see this happening over generations to the point where there would become parallel systems, parallel economies, parallel institutions that would directly compete with the governments in different parts of the world. And uh, eventually, you know, there he imagined there would probably be some conflict between the state and those of us who are trying to build something different. And in his definition of revolution, surviving this attack from the state would be like, okay, we've, we've proved that the people are free. The state is no longer strong enough to control, manipulate us. And maybe the state gets forced into one small territory or something like that's like his big grand vision whether or not that's going to come true or not i don't know but his work has greatly inspired me over the years because i was sort of already living this lifestyle so my work um how to opt out of the technocratic state focuses on this is the new edition it's the first edition focused on that and just explaining what is agorism and counter economics and what is this philosophy about and helping people understand the ai facial recognition social credit all that and asking, like, how are we going to stay free with this right on the horizon? So when I published in 2020, it pretty much immediately became my most popular book that I've written so far, largely because of COVID, COVID-19 and the COVID-1984. Terrorists are like the best players on our team because they got so many people finally ready to actually focus on solutions. People who maybe have been listening to podcasts or watching videos for years, but haven't been doing shit about it. were all of a sudden like, Oh my God, I'm being locked down. I can't travel. I'm, you know, I'm losing my job. Like I need to figure look for solutions. And my book was one source of solutions. So it became really popular. And in that time, I also did a tour of the United States. I did a 60 city uh, excuse me, 60 day, uh, 27 city tour of the U S and then I did another 60 day tour of Mexico doing speaking events and connecting with people and meeting people from all over the world and hearing how people from Canada left Canada because they weren't going to be allowed to travel. And they came to Mexico, uh, because there was no shots or quarantine requirements. I met people from Austria, from Germany, from Australia, from all over the world who literally picked up everything they owned and sold it and moved or, you know, ran away in fear waiting to kind of figure out what was next. And some of these people used the, the ideas and the tips that I promoted in this book. And not only that, we've learned so much. You know, when I wrote this book, we, we didn't know the term, the great reset. Of course, COVID-19 haven't happened yet. So many people weren't talking about ideas like technocracy and agenda 2030 and, sustainable development goals and stuff like that. So many more people have woken up to that now. And I've also learned a lot through these experiences. So I wrote a brand new introduction and five new chapters to this book. That's like a whole new section of post COVID edition. I left the original book exactly as I wrote it prior to 2020. So somebody who hasn't read it can read it and absorb it exactly the way I wrote it before COVID, which I think is kind of interesting when you realize these words were written before we saw lockdowns and vaccine mandates and travel restrictions and stuff. And then now the new sections are focused on what have we learned? You know, things that I learned from my own work and my own path, but also stories I heard from other people, ways that they were trying to avoid travel restrictions. So I talk about like climate lockdowns and travel restrictions. As far as I'm concerned, the, the predator class, as I call them, they've showed their hand. They showed us what they're going to use. Lockdowns, coercion, mandates, bribes, um, all these kinds of things it might not be about the next pandemic. It might be a lockdown for the climate as we've heard them talking about. But the point is, I think we've seen 
at least some of the tactics they're, we're going to use. And in my mind, if we know they're planning a next pandemic or it's going to be the climate lockdowns or climate passports or whatever, we shouldn't just sit around and like, Oh, that was fucked up. That was crazy. I'm glad we survived. Let's just wait for it to happen again. Like we should probably be planning of, do I want to, you know, if you live in a place that was totally a shithole during COVID and locked you down, you weren't allowed to go out to even walk your dog. Maybe you don't want to stay there. Maybe that's time to start thinking, right? Like really that's what the book is about is trying to get people to think about, here's what we learned in case you didn't re- you know, remember, or maybe you woke up after COVID and you don't even, you, you never even saw it because you weren't paying attention at the time. So that the first new chapter I have is called COVID-1984 and it's just the recap of all the crazy shit that we saw happen around the world. And then the, you know, the rest of them are more solutions focused about looking at lockdowns, looking at travel restrictions, looking at, um, just, yeah, how all these different things, how, how we saw them happen, what might be coming and how we can think about getting out of the banking system, growing our own food. And I tried to be as practical as possible because I've realized over the years that people, as much as it sometimes annoys me because I figure people have their own intuition and their own brilliant minds, people sometimes literally want a list of steps to take. So I tried to be very practical with this update and give you like, Hey, if you want to get out of the banking system, here's things you need to consider over the next five months or six months as you make your way out of there, you know, start by listing everything that you have that's currently connected to the bank, direct deposit, automatic withdrawal, all that kind of stuff. And then start coming up with the plan of how to entangle it. Like, you know, I really tried to make it practical. All right, guys, real quick. I want to tell you about our good friend, James McMahon and copy my crypto. Listen, crypto's getting a little bump going. Let's go. Let's go. Let me tell you about Comic Crypto. Listen, so many people are making ridiculous money from crypto, but did you know it's easy for you to do the same? The Copy My Crypto membership site shows you the coins that YouTuber James McMahon personally holds and allows you to copy him. It's like having a big brother who knows what he's doing. You don't need to know a thing about crypto or how to invest. You simply need to do what he does, okay? So let me tell you about James. He runs Crypto with James YouTube channel, which despite heavy censorship has over 26,000 subscribers. Good for him. Since March 2020, his he's told his viewers to buy 26 crypto coins. Had you put 100 bucks in each, it'd be worth 123,000, okay? Of the 26 coins, his top pick of the year, a coin called Phantom, went up 692 times from what he said. The one that one cause retired a number of people, including guys in their 20s and 30s. Remember, this is public knowledge. You can go to his YouTube and verify this yourself. So, if you'd like to join the 2,800 members who copy James, then stop what you're doing and head over to copymycrypto.com/tfh. That's copymycrypto.com forward slash tfh. That's t. FH. You're not only you'll not only find proof of everything I've said, but my my listeners will get full access for just a dollar. Once again, that's copymycrypto.com slash TFH. The recession is here, guys. You can suffer like everyone else or choose to thrive. James is the real deal. Go visit the site now. Okay, I have a lot of questions real quick. Mm-hmm. Um so I I uh, saw something that should scare everybody that if it's completely fake, uh, it's said that this could be this world we live in is so crazy that you could think it's possible, and that is that basically I 
I forget the country. It's somewhere in Europe. They're coming up with their own digital currency. And what their goal is is that you can't have more than $20,000 in your bank account anytime. Think about that. Think about what that represents if that's true. Right? Maybe try to look it yeah, up. I'm, See, I'm thinking about how to fucking type that in. Just say, uh, okay, uh, European digital currency, $20,000 maximum a bank account. So to me, that's super dangerous because that makes it impossible for anybody uh, to, get, to gain any wealth to help your children get to a place where they don't have to go through the stuff that you have to go through. But all the while, the elite's children will be getting a running start. And I think that's very scary that we live in a place that that's even possible. Like that, that you're not like, come on, dude, that's so dumb. Why would anyone do that? No, man. This is like real shit. They want to limit your ability to set your children up for the future. Any, any thoughts I on that, Derek? Yeah. Look I at mean, that. I, British. I seen that specific Brit story. Here we go. Routers. Britain's face 20... Wow. Get rid of that that ad right there. Okay. British face $20,000 digital pound cap under Bank of England plan. Yeah, there it is. Central bank. It's all the central banks. So the Bank of England is the central bank of uh, the UK. I'm not surprised. I hadn't seen that one. So that's just, what, less than a, a week ago? And they're already saying their plan includes a, a cap on how much money you can have. But then how do you buy shit? Like, how do you buy a Ferrari? No, that like should illustrate to everybody... <laughs> no, there's no Ferraris in this future, man. It's yeah, dog, no dog. But, but there's definitely going to be elite. I'd highly doubt they're all going to be driving Hondas, even the elite. Well, I'm pretty sure they're still going to be some elite. Doesn't apply to them. It doesn't apply that's what to them. Signal to people that it's bullshit. Like that's that should be anytime you see things like that. So, for example, when they want to talk about like a lot of this, this is what I explain in the book. Like this whole technocratic philosophy and this whole idea, which is basically just this idea that you should the people who are the experts, the technologists, the elite. They should micromanage every aspect of society. They're going to have AI and computers that can tell them how much food you should get over here and how much food people in China should get. And, and it's going to be this really micromanaged, perfectly ran system by AI that they promise will work out wonderfully for everybody. It's going to be equitable, sustainable, and all that kind of stuff. And if, you know, there's unfortunately a lot of good people, probably people that we all know who have been swept up and who generally believe like, oh, yeah, the United Nations is an institution that does good. Even if they don't know shit about its history, they just that's what they've been taught. And so when people hear these ideas and, and talk of that, like they're, they're not imagining they're thinking that like, yeah, we're all going to be on level player playing ground. Like you're asking, no, they're not imagining that there's still going to be an elite there. Right. Because who's going to run those systems and who's going to micromanage it to make sure it keeps going. And the other thing is, if it was a serious attempt at fixing the climate or preventing pandemics or trying to do anything positive that they claim, then why wouldn't they talk about things like the U S military being the biggest polluter? Or why wouldn't they talk about other really obvious solutions that you could fix? Like, like toxic waste dumps, trying to figure that out. No, instead it's like, no, you're using, you're eating too much hamburgers. You're using too much plastic. So yeah. their solutions always focus on the individual. It's never about like, what these giant institutions are doing. It's like, no, pay no attention to them. They're the corporations. They're going to do green investments. They'll be good. They'll get carbon credits, but you, you can only drive this many hours a week or whatever, you know, this carbon allowance 
that's definitely a big part of where this is going. Uh, so, so it's going to go digital IDs. It's going to go digital currencies. It's going to go uh, with their one uh, study I was reading this morning that is calling them personal carbon allowances. And they said specifically, this was published in the journal Nature Sustainability in uh, 2021, saying that COVID has made it clear that, you know, things that weren't considered possible a couple of years ago or just one year ago are now possible because COVID showed us in the interest of public health, people will lock down, people will change their behavior. And the researchers are basically saying we should take lessons from this and use this to promote personal carbon allowances now that people are used to vaccine passports and things like that. So, I mean, you can see the danger and where it's headed. And I mean, I think everybody understands like this isn't a world of individual liberty, privacy, bodily autonomy. You get to make your own choices. Um, I actually was just this morning before this interview, I was working on the latest up, the latest upcoming episode for my documentary series, The Pyramid of Power, and it's specifically about the technocratic state. So some of it's coming from my book, but I actually did a little bit deeper research. And when you go back and study the original technocratic movement, which started in the U.S. and Canada in like 1919, 1920, had its peak in the early 1930s, was pretty much dead and gone by the 40s and 50s. When you look at the words of this guy, Howard Scott, as well as people like Joshua Hadleman, which was Elon Musk's grandfather, who was part of the Social Credit Party and part of Technocracy Incorporated in Canada, they really did imagine a society of like hyper micromanagers. They didn't even know what computers fully were yet, but they knew that technology was coming and that at some point you would have a machine that could tabulate the calculation of every, of the consumption of every individual and the calculation of the cost of this and that, and it's gonna run perfectly. And so they had no interest in politicians, but not like in a way that we might, like instead they're like, forget the politicians and voting and all that stuff. We just need the technicians who have the knowledge and control, the experts, they'll run the system right. And they had this vision of a super hyper man, you know, hierarchical thing. And at the top was this thing, they called it the technate. They imagined that there was going to be a one, almost a one world system that would go from the North pole all the way down to central America. And that would be the North American technate that would be hyper managed and micromanaged by this, uh, what we would call AI now. So, I mean, you can see that these ideas of this movement that most of us have never heard of are at least in part the guy, you know, part of the guiding philosophy of these people who are trying to ruin the world. I agree with everything you just said. And, you know, going back to the people that need to hear, aren't hearing it. Like, again, I, I have so many people in my life. I love them. I'm so happy for their success. They're crushing it. I know they love me. They see me as a crazy person. I get it, but they just don't understand what is coming. They just don't. And all the success they have will go the fuck away. Will it happen overnight? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, if they come in and they knock out the internet out and they knock everything out, which I don't think they can do, but if they, if they do do it, Where's your money, bro? Where is that money? Where is that money? Oh, yeah. It was, it, you took a check that had numbers on it. You gave to a bank. They took that number and they put that data into their computer and said, now you have this much data in our computer. Right? And yeah. now that's been knocked out. Guess what? It's gone. $20,000 pounds. Now that's pounds. It's not dollars. But that's still a fucking insane we, account. Can I just clarify this too? It's so the account, the digital accounts they're proposing are meant for like daily expenses. So they can, I think, so they can track your daily expenses. Anything above that cap would get put swept. They say I love that term swept into your regular bank account. 
So anything above the 20,000 cap would just go back into your regular account. But they want you using their 20,000 digital tokens for day-to-day shit so they can it's all digitally tracked you know yeah, right i mean there. that's still to me absolutely insanity yeah it's crazy because yeah. they're getting you used to twenty thousand. yeah and that's what they say they say it's like you know twenty thousand is a nice ten thousands maybe not enough but twenty thousand is enough for you to handle most day-to-day expenses is what they say I, I, that's I, like, to that's, hear them talking about like what you deserve you know and look at what exactly. they're doing yeah, you know look at how that? they live hold on yeah. look at how they live their life their houses are getting bigger their planes are getting bigger. Their yachts are getting bigger. But they want you to drive smaller cars, have tiny houses, and have tiny bank accounts. You can't watch what they want to do. Yeah. Did watch you see that Mar- the thing Mar did about how all these rich people just want to have private planes, and that's like their goal, and they all fly private? Yeah, but it even goes into the woke women of Hollywood. Like, you look at what they want. They want this. They, At one sense, they're like microaggressions of sexual harassment in everything, everywhere. And in the same breath, they call you a monster and a knuckle dragger because you don't see the beauty and art in a grown man dressed like a fucking truck stop hooker <laughs> gyrating in front of children. What they see? What they want? These 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 woke women, these female comics. A lot of them are my friends. They're not necessarily doing this, but there are in their in their gaggle of bitches. Okay, <laughs> right? Telling you that looking at women as sex objects. Okay, are wrong. Yet all these girls, their hour, their stand up is about their snatches. Okay, and half these chicks are OnlyFans. Dude, have you seen Instagram? Like, they, if you're breastfeeding, it's okay. Yeah, by and the way. And I don't way, mind, and I don't mind, but, like, the there's still a nipple comedy out. in the world is the boob jiggle. That's big now on Instagram. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. the big yeah. snicker is like, oh, you're staring at my tits jumping up and down. Yeah. Like, it's just like, they don't want you to believe. It's, it's like, don't believe your eyes, don't believe your ears. That's what they want from you. They don't want you knowing if you're coming or going. That's where we're at. I agree. It's all about confusing, confusing the hell out of people. You know, I wanted to say about the, just the, the push and pull of technology and all these different challenges that we're having. I think it's really just, as I was writing the update, I think I probably included this in there that to me, I've just realized that there's just a crucial, maybe debate here. That's good. That it's going to keep coming back to no matter what type of technology we're talking about, banking systems, digital currency, et cetera. And that is, are people going to choose convenience over their principles? That's all it's going to come down to when the choices are made, you know? And so part of the book, the big thing is I'm just asking and trying to provoke a conversation and say, we need to rethink our relationship with technology, not necessarily to say, Hey, you need to live the lifestyle I'm living, you know, come out here and live on the fringes with me. But at the very least, whatever you're living, like you said, I mean, there's a lot of people who we know, Sam, who are maybe successful now, and they've got the nine to five and the two story house and the cars and the garage and all this stuff. And they are trying, even people who are very awake, I've met you know people like this, and they're trying desperately to hold on to that idea that everything they've been fighting for, the thing they've worked 60 years for, this job and this pension and whatever, that somehow with the craziness on the horizon, they're still going to be able to do that. And I fundamentally disagree. I don't think that we are going to be able to just go about our lives and continue to live our lives the way we were prior to COVID. Like, I think that's a mistake to assume that this stuff is just going to go away. You know, they call it 2030 agenda 2030 for a reason. It's 2023 right now. I mean, their plans are progressing and moving forward. Every country's talking about 
central bank digital currencies, digital identities, like doing nothing isn't going to help. And so we have to start to have conversations, maybe just sit with yourself and reflect, like, what am I willing to do for my family? What's the cost going to be if I just keep doing the same old, same old, and all of a sudden, like you said, oh, I can't spend more than $20,000. That's the start of it, right? And then they'll implement things like saying, well, you're spending money on the wrong things. I encourage people to go back and watch a documentary that's almost 20 years old now called From Freedom to Fascism with Aaron Russo, who is a Hollywood director and who died shortly after making the film in that film, there's a scene you can probably find on YouTube still. And it's just, it's this crazy thing that if you were to watch this as I did back in 20, 2008, 2009, you're just like, wow, this is crazy. There's no way that could ever happen maybe, but it seems so far off. And they basically have this scene where there's a guy it's, it's all acted out, but there's a guy and he's calling pizza hut or something. He's like, Oh, I'd like to order meat lovers, this and that. And, and but as soon as they answer the phone, they're like, Hey, Mr. Johnson, we got you in the system. Um, how can we help you today? And she's, you know, he's he wants his meat lovers. She said, okay, well, I just check the system here. And it says that you recently went to the doctor and you've got some cholesterol issues. So we're going to have to tax you a little extra if you want the meat lovers, unless you want to go for our special, we have now veggie this and that. And then she also says, Oh, I, I saw that you recently, um, you know, you ended up your, your membership at the gym. I can also throw in a membership and just showing you this, like in a jokey way, how interconnected these systems were yep. which sounded so, so crazy 15 years ago that one device would know your healthcare information, your bank information, your job history, your internet search, but that's what they were trying to illustrate. And that's where we're at now. And that's where this is going. So right now you get helpful little reminders. If you search Google for one thing, they say, here's the green route. You can save this much carbon. If you go this way, instead of that way, these are the nice suggestions, just like with COVID in the beginning, it was suggestions. And then it turned to bribes and then it eventually turned to like, no, you're not doing this anymore. Right? So I expect a similar trajectory for the next pandemic or for the climate where they start giving people helpful information. And then it starts to be like, you get bonuses if you choose the more environmentally friendly route or, uh, you know, package or fl flight or whatever like that. And then those things are no longer available anymore. It's only these environmentally friendly options that we're telling you you're allowed. And at that point you can only do it X amount of times per week or year based on your carbon, you know, so are we just going to walk into this world? Like, I mean, that's what we need to be asking ourselves. Like we all know the problems and that's why this book is short on problems and heavy on solutions because we, we could talk about that all day. We know what the problems are, but how many people are going to do anything about it? How many people are actively thinking about what am I going to change? What behaviors am I going to change to make sure that I can stay free and that me, my family and friends don't get trapped in their system? Because if you do nothing and you just keep walking forward, well then tomorrow you're going to go to the bank and they're going to announce <clears throat> All your money has become digital now. You have to download a digital app if you want to get access to it. And yeah, there's a 20,000 pound cap on it and blah, blah, you know, all the things because you didn't make any moves and because you just sat still. And then you basically just, even though you might have all this knowledge and you're so awake in your head, you're going to be a slave like everybody else if you don't do anything. But is there any way to be in the middle? Because you also don't want to be Ted Kaczynski. Yeah, you keep saying no bank account. When no bank account to me feels no Wi-Fi, I can't buy sneakers uh, the second they drop. And you can go to Foot Locker, but you might wait and there might be a line and you don't get them. It's like these conveniences. Is there any way to be in the middle? Where you? I think there are some ways, and I do talk about this in the book, but it's also becoming increasingly difficult. Like that's the thing is, so let me give you guys a couple examples. Like you talk about sneakers and stuff. So because I don't have a bank account, I do have a PayPal account. I don't really try to use it that much because we all know PayPal is like mm. censored people. So I try not to keep a whole bunch of money there. I'm just usually moving it out. I have a PayPal card, debit card that I can use if I need to get cash. So if somebody sends me money through PayPal or like 
you know, my book publishers, they're still using these old legacy systems. So I'm not even trying to convince them to get off. So they'll send me money, goes to PayPal. I use a debit card. I can take it out. Right. That's like my only interaction with banking institutions. But a lot of the tools that we've become accustomed to using in our modern world are also trying to softly nudge us and coerce us into their system. So for example, in Mexico, I can use Uber out here because in Mexico you have the option to pay cash to the driver. You can pay him direct, which is yeah. awesome. Like I love that. Like, you know, there's still a record of it through the app saying, Hey, so-and-so got picked up and went here to here, but I'm giving cash to the driver and you know, there's no credit card history of that. So that allows me an option. But in the U S I went back a couple months ago, I was coming to the U S for an event. I landed in the airport, tried to take an Uber. And I realized that now Uber doesn't even let you have an account. If you don't have a bank account, even though I have a card with money, this PayPal card, that's got money fully loaded on it. I still needed to register a bank account as a backup. And because I didn't have that, they wouldn't even let me use it. Even though I have money, I have a card, here it is. And then another example, I'm in the airport, my partner Miriam and I are looking for some food at the shitty expensive airports. And I walk up, we find some place that looks like reasonable food. There's a human being three feet away from me cooking some food. We ask them to see the menu. They say that it's only digital. <laughs> I have to scan the QR code. Yeah. Right? I'm like, okay, well, my girlfriend has a smartphone, but it wasn't, we just didn't like, really? Like, I'm, can you just tell me what's on the menu? And so then she was able to, we were like able to maneuver the menu, but still to order, I had to use the digital thing. I, even though I literally have paper money right here, there's a person two feet away, there's food right there, there's a grill, there's all the instruments we need to do our thing. But because of that, they're like, nope, sorry, unless you pay the machine, I can't pay, you know, you can't use this. So even like it's already getting difficult as somebody like me who tries to navigate these systems. If we wait any longer to start at least thinking about these things and taking these steps, it's all, it's only going to become more and more difficult. Like there will be no way to operate it right now. Like you said, with like the sneaker situation, you're saying like, so a sneaker drops and typically like you, what you have a card through your bank account and you order it online. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, technically, yeah, like if you wanted to, you could still use like an institution like PayPal or something. I call these in my book like half steps or intermediary steps because it's not going to happen from like, hey, I'm totally plugged in. I'm dependent on a social security check. I got a 401k and a pension and credit card debt and all this stuff to being totally out of the system overnight. Like it is a process which can be intimidating, but I would say like start to think about, okay, if I get rid of the bank account, you could go to a credit union. That's still a banking institution, but typically they're local, they're more, um, and some credit unions still had shitty COVID policies as well. So that's one thing to look out. But I, I see that as like a step away from the banks, right? And then maybe you um, have your money, you get to the point where your money's in cash, right? So how would you order something online? You could keep some money in a PayPal type thing for times like that when you need to send people money digitally. Um, you could, there's also more and more crypto options as well. I mean, years ago, just five years ago, it sounds so long ago, there was a company, they're still around called BitPay and you could get a BitPay card where you could load, you had your crypto in your wallet and you sent it to the card and then you could spend it like that. And I traveled, I did a tour in 2018 using the BitPay card, but that was before now it's super KYC. You got to take a picture of your face. You got to have a burst all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, so the thing, the, even just like that, the options that were available a couple of years ago have already changed because yeah. the system's getting more and more invasive and companies are afraid to like operate outside. Right. That's, and that's what it always comes down to is the fear of the state. You know, there's a lot of people who are trying to create new radical tools like decentralized finance through decentralized autonomous organizations. And 
I might even work with one of those to fund this land purchase I'm working on. But technically, according to the government, like that's illegal. Like that's just somebody funding the project and doing it without a bank or a government approval. Oh my God. Like, so I do think that we're seeing the creation of some of these tools, but it's difficult. I mean, there's no perfect answers. And that's what I try to make clear in the book too, is like going on this path, pursuing this, especially as we're still in the early stages. Like I do believe this is a generational thing. Maybe the steps that I'm laying, the foundation I'm laying, somebody's going to come after somebody else with more technical knowledge is going to start building the tech tools. And maybe by the time our kids are adults, there are alternatives that exist for us to do business and exchange. And you can still order your sneaker using the internet, but maybe private cryptos have become so common that you can pay with Monero and still do digital transactions. I'm sure John said to you guys, and I, I agree with this sentiment he's been repeating a lot recently that the world they're creating, the central bank digital currencies, digital identities, it's either going to be like, you're a part of that and every digital transaction you make is going to be a part of that system, or you figure out how to use private cryptos. Because as far as digital goes, obviously face-to-face, peer-to-peer, we can barter, we can trade, we can have paper currencies if we wanted to still accept them. But when it comes to doing digital transactions, you know, our options are going to be limited because they're going to try to coerce and push every business, every government, every person onto that system. And I think it could get to the point where digital currency is the only legal tender and people who are trying to trade in cash or outside of that are considered, you know, doing illegal and activity. I, and yeah. I wonder, and I wonder to when, cause I still think cash is King. I was watching this, uh, Tulsa's King, Tulsa's King was ever slow and he's trying to get an Uber and he can't get one. And he looks at somebody's, I'll give you a hundred bucks to get me here. And that person got the Uber and did it. Cash is King. That guy, I'm yeah. pretty sure if you pull out a hundred bucks, he's like, can you just order me the sandwich through your app? She would have took your hundred bucks, ordered your sandwich, and be like, "Fuck it, Still got cash." Paper, though, until it, into, yeah, you know, in the end of days, that's not going to mean anything. Cash. I mean, it's just going to be. It's going to be like Confederate. It's going to be Confederate thing. money. It's going to be monopoly that will be money. Because intra- you know, I think a lot about how to get out of this banking system, and I'm very nervous about a lot of it. You're doing the right thing with gold, dude. That's it. That's, I am. I know. am getting into gold, but you know, diversify like, for sure. I, well, my whole thing is like, I, I'm still a crypto guy. I'm just waiting for, you know, uh, it to figure itself out. Uh, I think right now uh, we've had a lot of bad characters come in and try to fugazi everything and uh, fugazi, fugazi, whatever it is, you know. And I, I think I think once you start talking about how I can go to 7-Eleven and buy a Coke with you know shibu inu much easier <laughs> that is the key that is the key to everything and that I agree. everybody in the crypto world if you're working on anything other than that you are wasting your time they're kind of working on it i've seen some atms at like 7-eleven which no don't, don't ma- yeah but now it's i I'm go saying. up with yeah. like with my coinbase or whatever it is and it's you're like right. boop 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 that is the it's, only way it really shouldn't be that hard, honestly. I mean, if you think about how many stores you go to and they got a sign that says, accepting Apple Pay, Google Pay, Samsung Pay, like, yeah, right? like that's why what needs to be? not just add accepting crypto? Like, yeah. you know, it, it's just another option. And, uh, and I think you're right as far as how important it is that people in the crypto space and people who are trying to grow that space, education is key. I mean, when I was doing these tours, I was basically going to businesses while traveling saying, hey, I'm doing a tour, spending nothing but crypto. 
can I open you up a wallet? I'll send you five bucks of Bitcoin. And this is 2017. So anybody who held on to that probably is lucky <laughs> right now. But, you know, I was giving them, Damn. just setting them up with a wallet and just saying, hey, put out a little sign with your wallet address and say accepting Bitcoin. You don't got to do anything extra, but you're going to open yourself up to a whole new market of people. Because if you've been around any crypto people, crypto nerds love spending crypto. Like that's the thing is like if you go, to, I'm, I'm speaking at Monerotopia in May in Mexico City, and it's going to be like three days of talks and workshops and there's going to be vendors and food and all that stuff, but you're not allowed to spend anything but Monero there. And I guarantee like if you have a product and people, and people come up to you and they're like, Oh, do you take Monero or their favorite crypto? And you say, no, they, they get disappointed and like they want to spend it with you. They want to give it to you, you know, because they're trying to grow that ecosystem. And that's really the only thing that matters as far as building alternative economies is if you're like you were saying, Sam, I mean, if you can't go pay rent with it, or if I can't go buy, down the block and buy a soda with it, then it's not going to end up becoming, it's not going to end up applying to the masses of people, which is what we need. Otherwise, like what will happen is crypto will continue to be there and it'll be something you can use but the the sort of ecosystem of people using it will shrink as people go towards cbdc's instead because it's easier it's what they're I agree. used to they you know i agree yeah. and the and they're just going to keep selling their crypto for this inferior uh you know uh fractional reserve banking notes that just uh, I, so when I see a dollar bill, I know I just spent, I gave ten bucks to a homeless guy, so I don't have any actual dollar bills on me. But stop when you, bragging. When you when you when you I show you a one dollar bill, you think that's a one dollar bill, and it is. But that's not the one dollar bill that you had five years ago. Mm. That's not the one dollar bill that your grandpa had. It's a totally different one dollar bill, and you're fooled by the number. Well, do you think now you by the way, I went and got uh, hold on real quick. I went and I got, I think, two cheeseburgers last night because I hate myself. (laughs) I got the two tiny cheeseburgers at McDonald's because I hate myself. Uh, And I was just like bored. (laughs) Bored. I'm bored. I get bored. I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I don't watch bowl. And I had pizza earlier, so I'm not eating all day. Uh, I'm bummed when we get some chicken. So but after the, the Super Bowl, you went and got two <laughs> tiny cheeseburgers. Two tiny cheeseburgers. And the commercials and fucking worked. And it was worked. like $7, $6, $7. Yep. When back in the day, oh, that, that was, was Those like, were a dollar each, yeah. Yeah, not anymore. Well, what I was going to say, do you think it, and I'm curious, Derek, what you think, because you see like Coinbase now where you can check out online in a lot of spaces, but a lot of what Coinbase advertises, it, it, their way of kind of rounding this corner is to convert fiat to crypto for you during for a lot of people that's what they're doing they're holding like cash in their account and getting it converted especially with their debit card the coinbase debit card do you think that that is uh is that something we should be doing or is that kind of reinforcing uh bad habits you know like relying on fiat should we be Um, like purely (laughs) crypto if we're committed to this we should we just commit to that and then try to do as much as we can just in pure crypto or are those transactions okay for now no, I hear you. I mean, I can't hate on anybody who's maybe uh, has I'm doing some fear, fear, trepidation of the like the, the the you know craziness of the market, and it's like, hey, I'm gonna try to play both, you know, play both ways and play it safe. Um, so, I mean, do what you do, but I will say specifically as far as that example, that Coinbase. I don't trust Coinbase. Coinbase has already said they'll report their people to the IRS with certain uh, transactions over certain amounts. And I think also the problem with like some of these intermediaries like Coinbase or uh, what was the one before uh, Robinhood and some of the other ways, like it's, 
it's like a gateway into crypto. And for maybe like average person who doesn't need to, or want to know all the mechanics of it, it's like, okay, cool. I'm already, I just do one app and then, okay, there's crypto here, but they never learn about private keys. They never learn about actually holding their keys themselves that you can have your crypto. So instead they just keep it on an exchange or something like that. And those exchanges are where get hacked and then people lose millions of dollars. And then people, you know, you see the articles run crypto's dead, another, you know, hack because people fundamentally misunderstand how to use crypto. It, it takes way more personal responsibility. I mean, I would say that when I was first starting years ago, when I was, I, even after I'd learned quite a bit, I made a mistake. I mean, I lost, I think $500 to a transaction because I made rookie mistakes. I was going to do an exchange. I was in a hurry. Like I need this money now. Now I can't remember what it was for, but I didn't have time to waste. I think I needed to pay something. So I went and started digging around until I found somebody who had, who would pay me the way that I wanted, seemed to have a reasonable price. But as you know, if you've used these systems, they're reputation-based systems. So this person was like a brand new account, had no history, which is usually not the first person you want to deal with. But I was in a hurry and I went and did it and I got scammed for $500. You know, I didn't get, get the crypto. I mean, I didn't get my money after I sent the crypto. Um, And it was, but it was my mistake. And that's scary for a lot of people because there's no bank to call or Bitcoin corporation to say, Hey, somebody ripped me off. Can you make sure this, you know, take care of me or government or, you know, and I think that's the big thing is it requires more personal responsibility. And for a lot of people, that's not something they want to do. They just want shit to work, which I can understand. But at the same time, it's like, if we're going to really be free, it's going to take some responsibility. It's going to take, you know, learning new skills. It's going to take pushing past that. So I, I think my main concern with Coinbase and some of those other uh, ways of holding or using crypto is that they don't really give people the full understanding of like what it means to own crypto. If it's on an exchange, you don't own it. You know, yeah. if it's yeah. I learned that the hard way. Yeah. The hard, hard way. I, I, that's my concern about stable coins too, is that stable coins are maybe almost like uh training wheels for uh you know what what's coming you know like government coins and things like that because people are used to having a a crypto pegged to the dollar and then eventually you know we could go from usd coin or usdt to the official us dollar coin you know that'll been most people will be comfortable with that so i I would i do worry about stable coins too maybe they're kind of lubricating the all uh, right so i want to get into a couple other things that you uh you wanted to talk about, and I want to start. We could do your recent work on the fluoride trial, which I think is very important. Then we'll get into some the sexual abuse within the Mormon Church that I think is very interesting. Uh, so let's get into this fluoride trial because uh, I think it's important that people realize, like, it, you know, I mean, like, I, I, I was listening again, somebody talking about, and I think I talked about in the last time, is like, when you start looking for conspiracies and everything, well, everything is a conspiracy. <laughs> it just is. And it's just like, from everything, and we're getting into the fluoride in our toothpaste, in our water, all that stuff. So where do you want to start with that? Yeah, I mean, I'll just start by echoing what you're saying. I definitely have seen and felt and dealt with since my beginning of fluoride research, which was back in 2011, how people are resistant to this. And I think there's a couple reasons that I'll just mention briefly. One of them being just propaganda. Like, so for example, anybody out there who's talked about fluoride has probably had this experience. Try to talk to a friend about fluoride, especially if there's somebody who's a little bit, you know, let's say 40 and up or something. And they mentioned Dr. Strangelove. They say like, oh, you sound like Dr. Strangelove, you know, conspiracies about things in the water, just whatever, right? It's like that programming's already there. Or people are just dismissive of it because we all know it's safe. The American Dental Association says it's great for my teeth. It's in my 
toothpaste that's in the water. You know, the government would never put bad things in, in the water. It's like these unspoken assumptions that people have that somebody out there at some point looked into this and checked it and they said it's good because obviously it would never be in my food or my water if it's not good for me, right? It's like those kind of things that I think are make it difficult for people to look into. And just because think, you know, that stupid label of conspiracy theory, but I will tell you that this is one of the, one of the most well-researched areas that we have mountains and mountains of evidence that are only piling up further. Uh, even just as recently as a couple of days ago, a brand new study on fluoride. Uh, I would recommend people who are totally new to this to go read or listen to the book called the fluoride deception, which is a really just incredible history of the beginning of water fluoridation and how, propaganda specifically like propaganda like edward bernays type style propaganda was used working with the american dental association in the very beginning to convince the public that putting this toxic substance hydrofluorosilicic acid aka fluoride which is a byproduct of aluminum phosphate mining mainly from this company based out of florida they used propaganda to convince people that this was something that needed to be helpful and it's going to be good for your bones and strong teeth and all this kind of stuff and really what they were doing was helping, I think they were called Alcoa, the aluminum company, which would have had to pay to dispose of this waste. They would have had to spend money to figure out how to take care of it in a proper way. Instead, now has contracts with cities like Houston, where I'm from, for $4 million to to give them the fluoride, this toxic substance to put in the water. And that's been going on now for 70 years. That, that's been a practice in the United States. Most countries in the world don't fluoridate the water. Some countries like Europe, the European Union, and uh, Mexico and some other places, they put fluoride in the salts. But the U.S. is by and far like the largest proponent of water fluoridation. And so that's kind of where things have been. Uh, people have been researching, asking questions about fluoride and trying to poke holes in these claims about dangers. And as for me, as a journalist, I've been reporting on it for the whole time I've been doing this work, every chance I had to talk about fluoride from a scientific perspective to show people like the skeptical people, Hey, here's another study. I know you think I'm crazy, but here's some more research. I've taken that opportunity. And so, um, in 2020, I actually started to do this investigation. There was a lawsuit, which hashtag that I'm using is fluoride lawsuit, hashtag fluoride trial, the fluoride action network over at fluoridealert.org, which is an amazing resource for information. Again, if you're totally new to this, I encourage you to start with them. They have just, they have like the best, uh, uh repository of uh, database of studies on fluoride and, and the dangerous effects of it. And so them and some other organizations, Food and Water Watch, Organic Consumers Association, they filed a lawsuit in 2016. Well, first they filed a petition with the EPA under this law that's called the Toxic Substance Control Act, which was passed in the 70s. And basically, it's supposed to be a way that the EPA keeps us safe and they regulate known toxins or they ban them altogether. And the people apparently under this law have the ability to petition the government and say, Hey, we believe this substance is toxic. Can you please review our petition? And then, you know, in a perfect world, they say, Hey, you're right. We found out this is toxic. We're going to ban it or we're going to you know, do something about it. Well, that's what the organizations did. They filed the petition. The EPA denied the petition. They countersued them. And it was just this back and forth, back and forth up until summer of 2020, when it was finally given a judge, a court date and everything. And for the first time in US history, there was gonna be a court case, a federal court case, where the proponents of water fluoridation, the US government, EPA, and the opponents, the attorneys for the uh, Fluoride Action Network, would be 
clashing in court and presenting evidence. And so I started following that in 2020 with the first original trial. And I was one of the only people that I know of in the independent media to really focus on it. And, you know, I did a bunch of articles back then in 2020. Uh, we can talk about that, but the short version of that is basically after a couple of a couple of weeks of testimony and plenty of like groundbreaking evidence being presented by scientists from all over the world, studies from Mexico, from Canada, Spain, about the dangers of fluoride and specifically about how fluoride causes a lower uh, lowering of IQ points in children who've been exposed to it in their pregnant moms and oh. uh, after birth. So, you know, really dangerous stuff. And basically, though, the judge at the end of 2020, August 2020, the judge said, OK, I've heard all the evidence from the government and from the, uh, the plaintiffs. And at the time, there was this big study that was supposed to be coming out from this government agency called the National Toxicology Program. It was supposed to be coming out maybe next year in 2021. So it was like, all right, look, we've only seen a draft of the National Toxicology Program. It's, it's what they call a, a monograph, which is like, we're going to review all the existing data, every study that's ever been done about fluoride, and then we're going to show you, here's our conclusions. So the judge said, let's not rush. We've got a lot of evidence, but let's wait until this report's released, and then we'll come back and make a decision. Well, that was almost three years ago now. And just as, re, as you know, that's basically where it's been for the last two and a half years. And then in October of this year, we started to see some movement. And in January, there's some more revelations I can talk about, but I'll pause there. To well, I mean, it's, it's just like, the here's the problem with everything right now in our society. The laws have allowed scumbags and liars to operate with immunity. Impunity and immunity. That's what's happened. You can lie like a scumbag and never feel any punishment for it. And you can sell out your fellow man for a dollar knowing what you did is wrong because you don't give a shit because you're just trying to make as much money as you possibly can appeasing your masters. And it makes me sick. I don't think that's happening right now in Idaho with that West Palestine. That's exactly what's happening. Is they're telling the Well, dude, money. I just got no, some... no, not the same thing, but like it's about money. Well, and they're I... not telling the people that they're like you should get the fuck out of here. You're talking about Ohio? Ohio. I'm talking about Ohio. You're talking about Ohio, and I think Ohio. I mean, Robin's been texting me a bunch of stuff, but I'm starting to think. Oh, we. This might be a. Uh, I, I know this might sound crazy, and I don't want to be an alarmist. But I'm starting to think, because now there's been another train explosion in Houston. Seems kind of crazy just after all this pipeline stuff started happening, right? Now we're seeing these giant chemical explosions with these trains. What are you thinking? Like, you think, like... Say it. Yeah. Just say it. This might be outside attacks. Kind of like when they they stopped the pipeline not too long ago in the United States. Yeah, but this might be a counterattack by people. I mean, you can't you can't march into America. You can't do it. You can't. They would have already done it if they could. With the shit we pulled everywhere, you can't. There's a gun in every house. There's a bunch of crazy ass rednecks and gangbangers and <laughs> all this stuff. They're not gonna be cool with that shit. So you gotta do it like slowly over time, and that's what this woke shit is and Maybe they said enough's enough, and now we got a second train exploding. It's interesting, ma'am. But back to the fluoride, man. I, I mean, I just, it's like to me, just pure insanity, pure insanity that that we that people are allowing 
these corporations to uh, destroy our children because of their paycheck. And how much money is enough money to sell out your fellow man? There's a special place in hell for you to do that. Anybody that allows a hurting of children is a scum bag and, and should not be allowed to walk the streets. Sorry. Sam, I want to read to you guys. Just I want to quote, share this quote with you guys. This is from the Fluoride Action Network. It pretty much says what you just said, but this is what the Fluoride Action Network said, um, like their latest statement because, well, I guess I'll, before that, I'll share what happened. So 2020, the judge delays it in August, and nothing's happened in two and a half years. Just slow behind-the-scenes stuff. Well, October, there was a hearing that was coming up, and the, the uh, lawyers with the Fluoride Action Network, they filed and submitted some documents to the court. They actually uh, were trying to get um, emails between the CDC, the FDA, and the ADA that, that they thought the American Dental Association, that they thought might be relevant. And they ended up getting some emails through open records requests that they submitted to the court. And these emails specifically show, again, these are emails from members of the CDC, members of the National Toxicology Program, who are the scientists who are doing this long-delayed study. These emails show that the scientists in the NTP, which is part of the U.S. government, in their own words, said that this report on fluoride was ready for release in May 2022 of last year. That date came and went, nothing happened. The courts, they were kind of sitting around waiting. And these emails show that it was specifically, you guys know um, Rachel Levine, who is the assistant health secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, the, the first openly transgender person. These emails show that that person, Rachel Levine, is the one that stopped this study from being released. I mean, it says it clearly in these emails that AHS, Assistant Health Secretary Levine, um, is going to you know stop the release of this. And then there's another statement that says that the Office of Director of the National Institute of Health, which is basically was Fauci's boss, this other guy named Lawrence Tabak, who I'd never heard of, it specifically mentions these two people that they intervened and they stopped the National Toxicology Program from releasing this huge, massive review of all the literature on fluoride, which we can assume was not going to be a positive study for fluoride. And so the lawyers for the Fluoride Action Network submitted that to the court to show the judge. Unfortunately, the judge didn't really like talk about it too much or listen to it. He kind of was like, he was dismissive of it. But, you know, for anybody with eyes and ears, and I, I reported on this, these emails clearly show the highest levels of Health and Human Services, National Institute of Health, and the CDC communicating behind the scenes when the National Toxicology Program clearly said, this is ready for release, the science is done. The emails show that the CDC was trying to tell them, hey, let's do one more review. We just need to do reviews. Do more reviews. We're going to get another board to look at it. Just trying to delay it as long as possible. And as the Florida Action Network has shown, this monograph from the NTP is the only one in history that we know of that has already had five reviews from five different sets of groups of experts and has been delayed multiple years now. So that was like a big bombshell that came out just a couple months ago, like the emails clearly showing you have U.S. government officials named intervening to block the release of this study. And they were also arguing, trying to get the judge to delay this whole thing for another six months uh, and keep delaying it and keep delaying it. The judge's most recent ruling just last month in January was that he would delay it for three months. He pushed it off till April. He said he's going to wait to see if the National Toxicology Program will decide to release it. He might choose to make it public, 
But the fact of the matter is the, the attorneys have seen it, the judges have seen it, but the public is not allowed to see it. And the other messed up thing is the emails show that the CDC, the U.S. government, before they let the public see it, they sent it to the American Dental Association, who, of course, is a huge proponent of water fluoridation and fluoride and toothpaste and all that stuff. So there's just all kind of fuckery going on. Most people don't even know this lawsuit's happening. And then this is the statement from the Fluoride Action Network, which kind of repeats what you were saying, Sam. It says, Florida Action Network is pleased that the court rejected the EPA's renewed request for a six-month delay of the trial. The EPA's callousness towards the millions of U.S. children currently at risk of neurotoxic harm from fluoridation ought to concern every parent, grandparent, and future parent. It's just like we've lost our sense of dignity and love and respect, and we've allowed hurt children to hurt children. It's just ridiculous, man. I cannot, it's like, you know, you could say whatever you want about Carrie Lake and people could hate her for some of her stances and maybe because she's too close to to uh, Trump. That, that puts you off. I get it, okay? But the fact of the matter is, is she went into court and proved that if it was... Beyond negligent, if it wasn't intentional, that in the, in certain districts of Arizona, which bled very red, that they per, that they used the wrong size paper for the ballots that that the, the machines wouldn't read them, which would invalidate the vote in the areas in which Carrie Lake probably most likely would dominate. And they rejected it. They rejected it. It was blatantly, everybody following this trial was like, oh, it's done. It's over. Everybody that followed the trial of the guy who went to the FBI was saying that it was Russia that hacked these servers. And it was found out that not only did he lie about working with Hillary Clinton, he lied about the whole thing, everything. And he got off. Because a lot of the jurors were Clinton people. I mean, we are living, and this is the danger, everybody, of once you get these things in the court, you start creating precedents. And if there's enough precedents, we truth and justice will be completely and utterly lost. And the Alex Jones trial, same exact thing. You have an activist, blue-haired, forty thousand vaccine boosted judge just allowing a fucking monkey court to happen it was banana republic bullshit he, he was made an example try to make it an example for everybody else for all of yeah. us and we just live in chaos bro and it's just super tragic that we are allowing this to happen to our children I mean, and and look at yeah. everyone's always with China. They're like, oh my God, look at the Chinese, look at the TikTok and what they're teaching their kids. Oh, that's the same government that their policies have lowered their birth rate by 50%. 50%! Think about that number. They cannot carry their listen, dude. China, you guys, I know we've had friends on here who have said everything against China's propaganda. I don't think it's all propaganda. I think a lot of it is World War II, uh, World War Three propaganda for sure. But China 
unless unless everything I've ever learned about spirituality is wrong, China has some bad karma coming. They killed a hundred million other people. They destroyed. They killed off all those baby girls. Well, did you see this thing this week? There were, I mean, just thousands and thousands of people protesting because they cut government benefits for like health care from, and I did the conversion. They cut it from like $38 a month, what these people were getting for their health care, to something like 10 or $12 a month. That's what they're getting to, wow. to you know, to pay health expenses and, and, and you know, uh, like preventative. Yeah. And they, just thousands of them were in the street. And that's, I mean, 38 bucks. That's what they were getting. That's what they were happy with. Yeah, crazy. and it's just crazy because that's what happens when you get what the government wants you to yes. have. Though. It's thirty, which that's, is what it, it starts at twenty thousand bucks, yep. and then, and then it, it just starts with, working yeah, back thirty-eight dollars. And England, like, dude, we are watching, we are watching a, a migration in the Europe that will change the fabric of Europe. They are trying to change the cultural makeup of Europe. Now, I am not anti-Muslim. I'm not anti-Middle Eastern. I love I love the melting pot that is Europe, that is America. I think diversity is our strength, not our weakness. But when you've obviously weaponized it, this is being done on purpose. They are annihilating Latin American economies, so they're all running here, and they're bombing the fuck out of the Middle East to push them all into Europe. This is all being done on purpose. It's a spiritual war. I think it, I think they're gonna fuck up with America and that because a lot of the, the people that are coming and I'd love to hear your thought on this, Derek. I've said this before on the show that a lot of people are coming up here are 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 Marxists in the fact that it's the people versus the government, and they wake up that the government and they they tend to be more conservative than a lot of people believe. Super conservative. And their their family values are anti like what Pasta calls college Marxists. They don't like that shit. They're not, I, I, I'm not, I can't put words in anybody's mouth, but they're not really open to alternative lifestyles like the, the, the Democrats want you to believe. They're family oriented. Derek, you're in, you're in Mexico. What are your thoughts? I mean, I'm, I'm with you on the points you're making there as far as like not being uh, bigoted towards people, but recognizing just the weaponization of these conversations and of it, things like immigration. And yeah, I mean, there are definitely, I would say Hispanic culture, even in Mexico, even in the U S but definitely in Mexico, there's, you know, there's like people who are open-minded just like anywhere, but there's, I would say for sure a culture of family that tends to be tight knit. And it probably is a culture of family that reinforces those traditional norms, like husband and wife and a couple of kids that, could be hostile. And I would say even maybe in ways that aren't helpful to gay people or people with alternative lifestyles or just anything that kind of doesn't fit in. Right. I mean, there's definitely still some of that where, and I mean, you see, I, from my experience with friends in the black community as well, there's definitely some like folks in the black community who are a lot more conservative, like you said, than uh, the media would like people to believe. And then there's also some element of truth too, like the conservative concern of, Oh, they're coming from, they're bringing the Democrats are bringing these people in from central America. So they'll vote them in. And maybe there are some people who feel that way, but yeah, I mean, they're just like we saw, there's a lot of people who like Trump, even when Trump was talking shit about Mexicans, you know, Mexicans who like Trump, you know, for the, you know, because they felt the same way. They're like, Oh, I came here legally. I did it properly. They should do it too. You know? So it's not just black and white the way that the media would like to spin it. 
And I think that is important for people to understand, especially when it comes to emotional conversations like immigration and topics like that. And you can't vote here just because you just because you live here. I mean, they're trying need, to change. That, yeah, they bro. are. You, but you need a citizenship. Like when they say, "Oh, they're bringing illegals to vote here," they're not voting. And the second they do have the chance to vote, they do be, go Republican, and that's what they end up not liking. So I want to get in one more thing because you know, I, I, w- I was also thinking about you know the, the weaponization of of a lot of uh, things going on in Europe. These no go zones, which are mostly Muslim, and you know the the invisible hand that the CIA that the British royals have had in the makeup of Islam. And again, I love everybody, all the Abrahamic religions. I'm not anti any of them. I have a lot of Muslim friends. I have to say this so people don't think I'm going crazy on anybody. I'm just not. I'm just, we have seen the illegal assassinations of very moderate Muslims. I mean, Iran, Libya, we've annihilated their they're moderate leaders and installed extremists, which has a ripple effect. So you wonder why. And I don't even believe that a lot of these quote unquote terrorists are doing it out of ideology. I think they're doing it because there's a paycheck along with it funded by black ops of the CIA. But it's like the same exact thing. They are th- this invisible hand that's weaponizing the progressive left, which I think is American ISIS, okay, to destroy us from the middle. It's what they've been doing in the Middle East and what they do in Africa. They take out moderates and they install extremists to create chaos. And that's being done on purpose. And that, that's the weaponization uh, of religion. And that's why I want to get into the other thing that you wanted to talk about. And again, this is not anti-Mormon. I, we do shows in, in Salt Lake all the time. I have no problems with these people. A Muslim, Mormons are one of the nicest people out there. They're hilarious and they're fun. To, and Salt Lake is probably one of the most underrated comedy towns in America. But there has been, just like in the Catholic Church, just like in Islam, there is, and just like in Judaism, okay? which we all know, which nobody wants to talk about, there's been a pedophilia problem. And it's sex it's sex, uh, sex scandals. What are your thoughts on that, Derek? I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right, of course, to say that it, this happens in all different areas. Over the last three years, I've probably covered um, uh, sex scandals, like big investigations, like hundreds of cases involving children. In the Southern Baptist Church, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Catholics, uh, probably other smaller churches that we don't know about or hear about. For whatever reason, I tend to believe that it's these situations that that where there's unquestioned authority, right? So a lot of times you'll hear stories about kids getting abused by a teacher, by a security officer at school, by a Boy Scout, you know, Cub Scout leader, by a pastor at uh, at church, all of those are positions of authority where parents tend to just trust and leave the kids alone with the adults. And, you know, okay, well, it's the Cub Scout leader. We can trust them. It's the pastor or whatever. And for whatever reason, well, I mean, we know because these people are twisted, they're fucked up in the head. They gravitate towards those kind of situations where they can take advantage of it. So it's not so much the particular religions, although I will say, the more and more that I've studied Mormonism, Mormonism is definitely a cult. That doesn't mean there aren't good people involved in it, but it started out as a cult. It has a lot of crazy stuff uh, infecting it. And there are, of course, ex-Mormons and people who 
see the abuse that we're talking about today and they still fully believe in their church and they believe you know the church has just got a few bad apples and stuff like that and there's others who again also consider themselves mormons but question fundamentally the foundation of that church from the beginning and so you know i because i've spent more time focused on mormonism the last year i can i would say from my perspective my research it definitely is a, a cult doesn't mean there aren't positive things that could come out of it, people having community or family or closeness or whatever. But when you look at it and you pull back the layers of, you know, the propaganda and the PR, there's something fucked up going on in Utah in general. I mean, it gets shout out to everybody in Salt Lake, but there's something going on in Utah. It's super interesting because that's my opinion on Catholics, right? Like all my Catholic friends are the baddest people, and baddest meaning good, like great people. But you're you're lying to yourself if you don't think that there these churches are just like you know regional like, pedophile. Fucking. Well, like my mom says, not her church. That's literally what my mom says. Not hers. Not you know those are the ones. Those are me? the ones in Italy. Those are the ones. Not my church. Literally, I've told you know my what mom. That like, says Yo. to me, not yet. They haven't found it out yet. Yeah, because isn't that fucked up? I mean, we we have seen where. These religions are where, in the past, gay men went to hide. Mm. And we've had people who, you know, Brian Callen talks about all the time. There's a guy who went undercover into the Vatican. And he was like, it was a giant gay and pedophile club. That's why they should get rid of the celibacy requirement. It would solve I, I, so I mean, much of this. But I think that was that's all <laughs> done on purpose. No, like, of course. Yeah, the yeah. demonization of all that, man. And again, sometimes... Great things can come out from come out of stuff that was created under, let's say, dark uh, circumstances. But right? that was, you know, that like was... the internet, right? I love the internet. This show wouldn't exist without the internet. But like DARPA created the internet, right? I mean, and yeah. did it get away from them? I think it did. That's why they're scrambling right now, right? What's the good thing from? The, are you saying something good is from the Catholic Church's celibacy requirement? Well, no, I'm saying that 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 <laughs> there's a lot of great Catholic people out there, which I don't give that. the I don't give the church credit well, for that. No, there isn't. But the, the I mean, the logic is I would ask my dad. I'm like, hey, well, why are they celibate? He's like, so they can give themselves 100 percent to God. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, make any it does, sense. It doesn't make all. sense. No, it doesn't. That's just what their but that their was logic. a great way yeah. place to hide the shady fucks, mm -hmm. right? And you know, so that's why I mean, like I. I, again, it's like, and there's just certain religions that get it, and then certain religions get protected. And I just think it's like Israel has a giant problem right now that they allow pedophiles to flee there. It's a law. You can flee there. You can hide out there. And people in Israel are starting to talk about that. Does that make Judaism bad? I don't think so. That's my personal opinion. Catholicism. I think the, the problem is that when these things happen, these organizations, whether churches or Cub Scouts or... The government, they don't want to correct it. Instead, they try to cover it up. That's why, like, every one of these investigations, the Catholic Church, the Cubs, the uh, Southern Baptist that has come out in the last few years, it's like, at first, they're like, this never happened. This couldn't be happening. Okay, it happened, but it was an isolated incident, and we didn't know anything about it. And then you find out, like, in the case of the Cub Scouts and a lot of these churches, that not only did they know about it, but they have, like, a uh, a uh, organization or like a chapter within the church that's specifically focused on trying to 
catalog all the different incidents and then in some cases like cover them up like yeah, specifically for I, found, sure. I found out the mormon church has a set of attorneys that are specifically there just to kind of direct people who call and they have this helpline this was talked about some of the mainstream too they have this helpline where you call in if you're a mormon and if you have anything but it's specifically if you've been abused or have some experience of abuse you call the helpline you talk to a pastor uh i forget what they call them um but this helpline we found out is actually staffed by the lawyers that work for the mormon church and so they're like oh we got a new one some oh, kids wow. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Uh, abuse them let's make sure this doesn't go anywhere and they they're keep it in a time. bubble and they'll tell them keep coming back and i mean i'll tell you guys this about the case that i'm yeah the let's get into the case you're working. investigating like first okay so first it started with i think we might have mentioned this before but this all started my whole investigation into mormonism and this kind of stuff i mean you guys know i've covered epstein and the finders and other things so i was sort of already ready to dive in but it started because in may of last year the utah county sheriff's office put out a press release saying that they were leading an investigation into what they called ritualized child sexual abuse taking place in three different oh, Utah shit. counties yeah, from you're 1990 right. to 2010. And they said, if you have any information on this, please reach out to us. And I saw that and was like, holy shit, that's kind of an interesting announcement. And that's when I started following it. Then the next day you had the local county attorney, uh, the district attorney, his name is David Levitt. He's from the Levitt family, which is extremely powerful, not just in Utah, but elsewhere. His brother's the former governor of Utah. His dad's name's Dixie Levitt, owns the largest insurance broker company in the country. He's got the Levitt Foundation, interestingly enough, based in Ukraine. Uh, that's a whole nother thread. But so the district attorney, after this, this press conference is held, this announcement about the investigation, he holds his own press conference to say, just in case anybody was wondering, I'm not a cannibal. I'm not a child molester. I didn't murder anybody. And everybody was kind of like, what the hell is he talking about? I remember about? this. And, Damn. And he, I, yeah, he, man, this is crazy. He put out this. He basically said, there's a 151-page victim statement that accuses me and my wife of being cannibals and part of a satanic sex ring. And I think that this this sheriff's investigation is coming after me. This is politically motivated because at the time there was a, uh, there was an election coming up. This is May, June of last year. So Utah was about to have their primaries, including for his position. And so he was just saying, this is just because the Republican sheriff, even though they're all Republicans, that's the funny thing. He's like, this Republican sheriff's coming after me because I'm, I'm a progressive district attorney and because he doesn't like my policies. This is all political. And But he pretty much just outed himself. They hadn't named any suspect. They hadn't said anything about any of this. He just comes and holds a press conference and says, by the way, me and my wife are not cannibals. And that was just like, okay, what the hell is going on here? And I started following the case and I got access to that document, the 151 page statement. I have access to all these documents. It's hundreds of pages. And it, and it relates to a case from 2012, this therapist in Utah named David Hamblin, David Hamblin, he abused some of his own patients, including his own daughters. He was caught abusing his patients. He lost his therapy license. After that, he started hosting these spiritual healing groups and would use like some form of hypnosis to abuse people. And his daughters came out. That was all in 2012. He got arrested. He went to court. But the attorney said that he was having trouble getting all the documentation and they eventually dismissed the trial, not because of, uh, or they did dismissed it with, with, without prejudice, which means that it could be brought back if they have more evidence. So that was back in 2012, 2014. After this announcement came in 20, uh, 2022, 
I started looking into all this history and I suspected that it was David Hamblin that they were going after, but we didn't know for sure until just this past October, a couple months back, they actually did arrest him. He was the first arrest in this ongoing investigation into ritualized child sexual abuse. So that was like my initial investigation. I started communicating with the sheriff's office. I started reporting on this. People from Utah started to reach out to me. So I dove deeper and I did a couple of pieces for the last American vagabond, just looking at the history of um, abuse in Utah and then the history of abuse within the Mormon church. And there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot there. There's at least decades worth within the Mormon church that they've been covering up. And the more I reported, people started reaching out to me. I actually was able to release, and I think I sent you guys these links. I was able to release this that hadn't been seen in 30 years. It was a documentary that was made in the early 90s, late 80s, about the former head of the Mormon church. His name's Gordon B. Hinckley. He's dead now. But mm-hmm. he was their longest um, serving uh, leader. And he himself had been accused of being involved with young boys and prostitutes and stuff. And if you search for this on the Internet, you won't find a single record of this. They've done a great job like hiding these accusations. Well, somebody reached out to me and said, hey, I have a tape that my father had from 30 years ago. It's a VHS tape that is called The Truth About Gordon B. Hinckley. And it was a documentary that some ex-Mormons were making saying like there's evidence and they had witnesses in there, but it never made it to the internet. So they sent it to me. We digitized it and we uploaded it to the internet. I reported on it. It's on all my channels and now it's out there on the internet forever. Um, and of course some Mormons, this is trash. How dare you put this out there? Others are like, I know this is true. And this is the evidence I have. Like every time I was reporting more people were sending me more information. I uh, got sent that tape. We released that. I got sent another tape from the nineties, which was this Oklahoma report related to Mormonism, but more specifically about satanic ritual abuse called where the children that hadn't been seen since the nineties. I published that and put that online. And then through all of that, I had a woman named Kate reach out to me and we did a two part investigation called Kate's story. Kate is actually the ex-wife of David Hamblin, the therapist who's now arrested, of his best friend, Eldon Talley, who was also involved in this spiritual cult, this uh, healing circles. And she told me her whole story of how she knew David Hamblin, how he coached her husband to uh, abuse her, and that she was abused as part of the Mormon church as a young child. Now she's an adult woman, and she's decided to go public and share her whole story with me. So we published that. We put that reporting out. And as I said, now there's been an arrest back in October. We haven't really seen much movement since then, but if it's good, it's a good thing this guy's being arrested because he's a dangerous criminal himself. Fucking but scumbag. the 2012 documents... He is a scumbag. These 2012 documents, though, if there's, and of course, innocent until proven guilty. So I'd like to just give that caveat. None of these people that are accused in the 2012 documents have been arrested, have been charged. But guys, what those 2012 documents, and I'll send them to you if you want some nighttime reading, they are more than 100 different incidents of four different victims, including his own daughters, describing in detail hundreds of different times that they were abused, not just by their father, but by different people in the community in Provo, Utah, including the local pharmacist, including uh, members of their church, including David Levitt, the attorney general, who was like, oh, I'm not a cannibal. That's why he was responding, because he realized, oh, shit, they might be you know, coming after me. He, he looked a little crazy, but what they specifically described, I mean, these these young girls describe hundreds, hundreds of incidents, detailed incidents of some of the most fucked up things you can describe. I mean, they this, say that this, this, is a, this is basically the Church of Satan within, within the, um, say that again? On this article, I pulled his name up, and this article is disgusting. That's one of the so I'll send you guys. So hold on. Yeah. So uh, within... It goes worse than that, too. I mean, that's the thing... 
within Go sorry ahead. to cut you off there so the guy that came out through the press conference there's been more information comes out that he is a part of this whole thing it's in those documents again like those documents obviously so we have just to make it clear i want to make sure i'm being clear about it. there's 2012 case against david hamblin he's arrested charged and then that case is let go because they said you know um they couldn't get all the documents they needed. So he's not found not guilty though. That's what's important is they didn't say there's no evidence here. They said there's a lot of evidence, but we don't have all the documentation legally. They couldn't help him. I think somebody, somebody, some powerful person let him out, helped him. Well, here we are. And then they arrest him again now. So the current arrest against him at the moment is not related to 2012 accusations, but in those 2012 accusations, I mean, it's not just that they describe like sucking on the penis and the disturbing stuff like that. They specifically, the, these young girls specifically described that this network of people that are trading them between their parents and other people that when they were raping them, that they were praying to Satan, that they were calling out to Lucifer. They all had different titles. One of them was known as the punisher because he was the most violent person. They said that at his house, when they were abused, when they were getting abused, that uh, one of the girls described being put in this tiny little box for hours at a time while he took her sister in the other room to rape her and that he raped them wearing these skin suits, like something out of Texas chainsaw massacre. And that he told them, those were the skins of people that he had killed. And the reason that they wore them is because it was like taking the energy, the essence of that person. So these documents describe like these girls being, do they know who the people. punisher is They're They're named. I mean, that's the thing is like, some who these is names the are punisher? His name's Gordon Bowden. He's a, he's a marketing um, affiliate. You can still find him. That's what I'm saying. These people are still out there connected to a lot of powerful people. They uh, haven't been tried in court. Send me a but link. They have dude. been accused, you know, Send um, me a they, link. If you go, I'll send you guys the links. But if anybody's curious, the last What's his American name? Vagabond, Gordon what? Gordon Bowden. B O W D. Okay, Gordon Bowden. Yeah, and on the front page of the Last American Vagabond website, you'll see a tab that says Derek Bros for all my articles, and you'll see a section that says Utah Ritual Abuse. That has my whole series. I mean, because this this basically consumed my time from like June of last year till pretty much the end of 2022. Because the more I dug in, the more I reported. So many people were reaching out. They were sending me their stories of, "Hey, I saw this, or I heard this thing. I know this thing," and some of them went public, like Kate, and I shared her story. Others were just like, kind of, you know, behind the scenes. Um, uh, witnesses and testimony for me to use. But I mean, that's why I'm saying like, there's something fucked up going on in Utah. There's something fucked up going on in the church. I can say that for sure. And this uh, is just no. one, one case. Just one I am case. so this pissed off right guy. now. This guy, this punisher needs his ass fucking beat. Is he, is he just walking around? Oh yeah. That's the thing is there. I mean, and this is the other weird thing. So there's me and a couple other researchers. These police documents were released through a freedom of information act request. And a, a lot of the names are redacted, but for some reason, and I think maybe somebody on the inside was trying to help a little bit. Some of the names are unredacted. So we were able to look and there's a, there's another researcher I'm working with. He's been identifying the names of the people. Like for example, the girls said that when they were abused, they were uh, drugged up and that the mom said, Oh, I got these uh, these pills from the veterinarian. He said that 10 guys could rape you and you wouldn't even know it. Well, you look up who's the veterinarian that works on the street that's named in the documents. It's not that hard to see who these people are. I'm not all encouraging right, anybody right, to go right, do right. anything because none of them are being charged yet. They're, but they are out there. And if there's even any tiny bit of truth to these documents, it's fucked up and, and scary and disturbing. All right, so Derek, what we're going to do is we're going to have you back and bring on anybody that you want. We're going to do a deep dive on this document. 
and uh, get the word out. Because uh, if there's a guy out there who's known as a fucking punisher that hurts children, that dude needs to be put on blast. I agree. I'm happy to come back and talk about it, man. Yeah, we'll get it. I'm going to tell Mark. So get anybody you know doing research on this. We'll set it up, and we're just going to go fucking big game hunting because, like, I don't know why it's suddenly become cool to hurt children. I don't know why people look away from it. I don't know why people think it's that we shouldn't protect children at all costs. And the fact that there's a motherfucker out there called Punisher is a piece of shit. And uh, it upsets me that scumbags like that are allowed to walk. And this and this sheriff, whoever brought this case out, that takes a lot of balls. And I respect you, man. And I bet you went through a lot of shit. A lot of people yeah. coming at you. I'll just say one more thing on that. I know we're going to wrap up. Well, his name's Sheriff Mike Smith, and I've communicated with the department as a journalist, you know, telling them about my reports. I've sent them my reports and I'm skeptical of cops and authority and government, but I genuinely believe that this little local police department is actually trying to, to do some shit, you know, and actually trying to go after some bad guys. They seem seriously focused on it. And I want to say one other thing about like all the topics we've talked about today. So fluoride, um, you know, concerns about the technocracy. And in this, this Utah case, I'm reporting on things like in the fluoride case, it's a, it's a federal case. It's a trial. It's going on there. Right. But if we were to talk to somebody about this on the street, they would just say, you're crazy, man. Come on. They have no idea this is going on. If I was to tell people that there's an ongoing investigation into ritualized child sexual abuse, they would call me QAnon. They would say that I'm crazy. I'm just reporting on facts on things that are happening, you know? And a couple of months ago, the NBC news, they put out, a hit piece about this investigation. This was before David Hamlin was, uh, David Hamlin was arrested and they took this horrible lens. They said, look at this crazy investigation by these sheriffs looking at ritualized child sexual abuse. It's just politically motivated. There's a witch hunt. They're going after this attorney general. And this is an example of how QAnon has infected Republican politics. And this is so horrible. And then 10 paragraphs down. Oh, by the way, there is an ongoing investigation by the, uh, sheriff's department into ritual abuse, but don't pay any attention to that. Yeah. So they did this whole hit piece, you know, and this is, her name's Brandy Zadronsky. She's the lead senior reporter of NBC news and probably gets paid better than both of us, you know, and I'm over here struggling, writing real stories. She puts this hit piece out there designed to make people who maybe are here about this Utah thing to just, Oh, it's just queuing on stuff. Nothing to look at. Well, then after their trash article came out, an arrest is made. Oh, I guess it wasn't nothing here. Here's an arrest now being made in this investigation into ritualized child sexual abuse. Did they follow up with it? Have they written anything else? No, not yet. But they contacted me about a week ago. Brandy Zajonski, this journalist, contacted me wanting to do an interview with me uh, about my work on this. And I recorded the entire interview as they did, and I don't know what they're going to do, if they're planning to put out an article making fun of me or attacking me. Uh, but I stood my ground and talked to this lady for an hour and I can't wait to share that with you guys. And I'll tell you that just the level of this person, this is again, the senior reporter of NBC news, multinational corporation, probably making 50, 60, $70,000 a year, if not more easy. And she tells me that when I asked her, I said, well, why wouldn't you want to look into this? You know, this, uh, you, you don't have to believe claims of Satanism necessarily to see that, hey, people are reporting something, there's an investigation by the sheriffs. Isn't that newsworthy? Why wouldn't you want to report on that? And what she told me was that as a journalist in her world, you need to wait till somebody of authority tells you that it's worth reporting on. Huh. 
you need to wait for New York Times or for a, you know somebody that's yeah, credible in the hack. mainstream. And there is somebody. And, it's called a sheriff, you dumb bitch. Well, now, what, did, when, you when, when, did you ask her about the arrest? What, what was her response to that? I mean, like. I, I did say something. I told her, I said, because at the beginning, I wasn't really letting her know that because I actually wrote a full article responding to her called um, Revisiting the Satanic Panic for the Last American Vagabond. People can find that just pointing out how trash the article was. And I told her, I said, you know, you chose to put this par 10 paragraphs down. You made fun of the topic. And then there's an arrest. And uh, and even the sheriff's office, they when I talked to them, they said it's disrespectful that they're trying to call us QAnon. He's like, it would be irresponsible for me and my job if people are reporting these things for me to not go investigate it. And then they get made fun of by national news. So I told her, I said, you know, hopefully whatever you're doing, it's going to be more than just another article making fun of people like me. But you know, I just, I stood my ground and just talked to her like the way I'm talking to you guys and just let her know, like, it's, it's pretty shitty that you could write something like that. Cause she's like, you know, as a woman, I want to believe other women, but and I said, yeah, well, you yeah. want to believe other women unless yeah. they mention Satanism. then Or they mention children you know. because you can't, you can't spin that into something, some personal benefit, which is the woke women of Hollywood. The reason they don't defend children because they can't spin that into a writing gig, a set at a uh, comedy club, you know, uh, money, fame. I mean, that's it. That's it. There's no benefit in it. You know, it's like so funny. Somebody, I was listening to Kurt Metzger talk about, uh, Kurt Metzger and Jimmy Dore talk about um, uh, the Sam Smith stuff. And, you know, they were they were like, we've heard Tim Dillon. I've, we talked about it. You know how hacky Sam Smith is and everyone that's kind of thank God for comedians. But, you know, Kurt Metzger brought up a great point about this and that that the reason the the, the left the, like they've outlawed and demonized anything, everything dangerous, that the only thing they have left that they can make fun of now is Satanism and have fun with is Satanism and pedophilia. Right. I mean, that's what the jokes wow. are now. And the, and the reason they do that, the reason they make fun of pet kids get abused is because kids can't cancel them. Kids can't organize and get them blackballed from anything or sue them. They have no power. If we're going to play this dumb game of punching up and punching down, there's no more punching down than hurting children. Doesn't this sound like Jeff, Jeff Rapsing Part 2? Where this guy was arrested, there was a case, he got yeah. let go, now new shit's coming out, and, and then now they're about scared. This is, this is the initiation into power. Outside of murder, hurting children is the worst thing you could do. And then obviously rape is right there, but it's like hurting kids. And it's like, the, it is the initiation to the highest levels of, 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 uh, of power. There's reason why some people get canceled and can't perform in certain comedy clubs, and then other guys are on a fucking national commercial during the Super Bowl. That skin thing just grossed me out. The whole thing but is yeah, gross. Yeah, but there's... The fact that there's a guy yeah. named The Punisher... Yeah, right, yeah. That guy needs his ass... Like, you, kill, you don't kill people like that. You slowly and surely annihilate these people for 20 years that nickname is that is that something the kids called him because he was so feared or is that is that's that what like a self, that's is what that all a, the that's friends what they that's what they call themselves they all the the 
that is what we're calling the church of Satan within there. Those individuals, they all had names for themselves. So there was the leader, there was the punisher, there was you know different titles depending on what role they played. So he was specifically the guy who was like, when it's time to fuck somebody up and beat them badly, you bring in the punisher. That's that why is, they have their own rules, their own little counties. Yeah. Go. Some nut shit, man. So dark. Well, Derek. Thanks for letting me share about it, guys. Well, I appreciate you, though. Uh, that, no. Uh, sorry, I don't like ending on um, the, this, but I'm very upset right now. Uh, Derek, uh, we need to have you back to do a deep dive into this, which gets dangerous, obviously. Gets dangerous. Yeah. I mean, Johnny sent me uh, a, a chart which showed my shadow banning on YouTube and that you can go back to what caused that shadow banning. And that was Pizzagate. Mm. Me talking about Pizzagate. That's what caused the shit. And I, I fucked up cause I didn't put the whole thing on there, but at the highest peak, this level right here is like 150,000. Imagine what kind of world we're in when we're getting 150,000 all the time. But if you would have never touched that sub, that subject shill, Imagine if you would have tried not to yeah, do it. Yeah, Just exactly. think about it. It, you, it, would, it would have fucking kicked you in the dick anyways. Yeah. All right, Derek, you one more time. stick to the truth no matter what, man. That's yeah. what it's about. I'm with stick you, to man. to the truth. I'm with you. Why don't you uh, tell our listeners where they can find you one more time? Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for the conversation. Awesome stuff. Theconsciousresistance.com is my main website. And I don't think I mentioned, but you can download the book for free. Theconsciousresistance.com slash how to, uh, you can order the physical copies. It's available in Spanish, French, and I just signed a deal for Japanese. So that'll be coming out next year. And, um, yeah, if you want to find out more about my work, theconsciousresistance.com, the pyramid of power.net is where my documentary series and, uh, all of my reports on Utah and everything we mentioned can be found on my websites. All right. Perfect, man. Well, uh, you know, I mean, great discussion today. Uh, sorry, it was dark again. If you want to see me live, go to samtribly.com. Uh, the weirdo tour is on full effect. Uh, more dates are coming, but Morris planes this weekend with my boy, Howie Dewey. The, uh, com- the comedy chaos is cooking with gas. Then Spokane with my man. Eddie Bravo and Xavier Guerrero, Spokane, and then Tacoma, and then again, Bloomington, Minneapolis. A lot of you guys are hitting me up about all these dates. Oh, yeah, we just added Yuma. That's coming. So uh, more and more dates. So we'll see how it goes. But I love you guys. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I know it was pretty dark, but we'll, uh, hey, man, sometimes we got to shine a light in the darkness. I will talk to you soon. Love you guys. Take care. All right, guys, real quick before we're done, we want to tell you about all of our affiliates. It's a great way to support the show. Uh, as you know, uh, fiat money is chaos. Okay, fractional reserve banking, dangerous. The best way to get out of it is precious metals, in particular, silver and gold, silver and gold. And that's why we're working at Wise Wolf, okay? Wise Wolf, silver and gold. Just go to samtriplee.com or samtriplee.gold and you could join and uh, the, he's hooking you up. They got great pro. They, you can either buy single time or you can sign up for their program where you can buy up to $500 a month. I'm doing it. I hope you can too. We also have... Everybody at Eagle Research, that's right, Eagle Research, AquaCure Mobile Model AC50 Brown Gas, Hydrogen Brown Gas. Uh, The guy who makes it says it's a cure. People are using it. Check it out. Just go there. Use the, the, the promo code 
Tin foil hat, three words, and get a discount. Go back to the main page, Sam Tripoli. You will get, uh, yeah, you get a discount with the promo code Tinfoil. And then our good friends over at HaleyRayCrystalShop.com. Go to the promo code is Swarm15. Swarm 15, get 15% off all your crystals, all your quartz, all uh, you name it. What do we got here? Look at all this stuff. All this stuff. All the best. You can do it right there. It's all part of the best crystal shop on the internet. Jewels, bracelets, clusters, you name it. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Candles. You name it. You got it. Swarm 15. Thank you for supporting the show. We love you. And uh, thank you so much for your support. We go deep, homeboy. Aaron, open your mind. Drink. From the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack, tin foil hack, tin foil hack, tin foil hack.